This is Ginger Buchanan, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 111, Knights of the Morning Star, by Melanie Ron. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And you have joined us just in time for the latest meeting of the Quantum Leap Podcast book club this time out we're going to be discussing the fourth book in the ql novel series and it's called knights of the morning star by melanie ron melanie ron is a get for the book series because she was um and is a lauded fantasy author really Uh, her book launch is so hot they have to issue fire extinguishers with the tickets (laughs) (laughs) you could tell it was someone who was passionate about medieval lore and stuff like that i didn't know that it was such a get that's cool Mm. okay this is me reading from wikipedia the greatest way to start a podcast uh she has been nominated (laughs) for a locus award on three occasions in 1989 for dragon prince in the first novel category in 1994 for sky bowl in the fantasy novel category and again in 1995 for runes of embry in the fantasy novel category so she's had three nominations including first novel dragon prince was a big seller and i remember discussing with Ginger the fact that she was so happy that they were able to get Melanie a little bit behind the scenes. Uh, She said that, you know, Melanie had approached her because Melanie was such a huge fan of Quantum Leap and she had this story in mind. You could tell. Yeah, you could tell. Big time. Big time. And Ginger said to her, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to give you anything like your regular rate. And she's like, I don't care. I want to write a Quantum Leap (laughs) book. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Wow. A lot of respect for her now. I mean, that might be apocryphal. I'm just going on a memory of a 30-year-old conversation, but it had stuck in my head ever since because it's just like, this is someone who really just loves Sam and Al and wants to play in the universe. And I think it comes across in this book. So why don't we uh, tell everybody out there, if you haven't read the book, what it's about. Here is the back cover blurb. A leaper in shining armor. When the blue light fades after his latest leap, Dr. Sam Beckett finds himself wielding a sword and facing a man in full armor. No, Sam hasn't leaped into the court of King Arthur. He's jousting his way through a medieval recreation group, battling for the hand of a fair lady. But sword fighting isn't the only challenge Sam faces. A sinister new player has entered the game, someone who threatens not only the project, 
but Sam's life as well. Another leaper, Quantum Leap, Knights of the Morning Star, an original novel by Melanie Ron, best-selling author of the Dragon Prince series. So, yep, like I said, bestseller. Uh, why don't we do some initial impressions? Allison. I had a great time reading this. It felt really different than the novels previous to it. Um, there was a great sense of humor to it. Even when there was like serious things happening, like I really felt like um, she understood how these characters interplay with each other and had like a really great balance. And uh, there was a lot of great character stuff going on in this book. So yeah, had a good time. Oh, that's really cool. How about you, Matt? Uh, oh, wow. Um, now... <laughs> You guys know I love the Evil Leaper stuff, and it's it's you can't go wrong with an Evil Leaper story, as far as I'm concerned. Alison, what the hell did you read? Because it wasn't the same book I read. <laughs> really? Oh, all right. Uh-oh. Oh, my God. I'm sure she was a great get, and, and everything you said, Chris, rings absolutely true, particularly from what you said from Wikipedia. I'm just, I'm really surprised she's ever seen Quantum Leap. Oh, wow. <laughs> we, oh, I'll fight you on that. All right. I mean, you 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 got the quote that I said at the start about the the book sales being so hot they had to issue fire extinguishers with the, with the tickets. That was a quote from the book. That was one of the many <laughs> bad owl lines that I wrote down while reading this. That sounds exactly like something Al would say, though. Honestly, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Alice said a whole lot of corny ass lines. <sighs> That's, I think what I liked about it is that there were a lot of like kind of corny things in there that felt like it would be said on the show. I'm not big into the whole Renaissance fair thing, so the the background of this didn't appeal to me anyway. But um, yeah, I also I didn't I uh, I didn't warm to it. Let's put it that way. Wow, and I thought it would be the opposite because you're such an evil leaper wonk. You love everything about the evil leapers. So. <sighs> wonk? I wanted to. Wonk. That's good. I thought you were going to say that you assumed I'd like it because I'm British. I'm really <laughs> glad it wasn't that. <laughs> no, that was where no. I thought you were going with that, Chris. But don't you all love fighting each other in shining armor, you Brits? No, I just love the way you say Renaissance. So I really thought that you would cotton to this one a lot more because you love Return Revenge so much. So yeah, there's some good lore stuff. And I think I walked the line equally between both of you. I think that this book is definitely a breath of fresh air. And I think it's just what the novel program needed. It's a different kind of leap. It's a different kind of story. It's a different take on the characters. And it shows us that Quantum Leap doesn't just have to be about domestic squabbles and mundane situations. It can be Mm. rollicking. It can be funny. It can be different. And I think that if you were coming at the book series just based on what had come before, you might have gotten tired of it without this kind of complete outlier coming in and saying, no, well, it could also be this. And um, I think that the book does, Matt, to your point, have significant problems. And we'll get into those, but I think on the whole, Melanie takes what Ashley has already laid down and I think builds on it in a positive way. And more than anything, I feel like the novel program feels like it's taking off with this book. It feels like the universe is solidifying and coming into its own and I can see it continuing from here. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> you know that uh, that she watched the show because the, the dedication in this book really got me. I wrote it down. For QL fans who, like me, refuse to believe that Sam never returned home. Mm. And for Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, who made the series so easy on the eyes. <laughs> She's crushing hard on both of them. Yeah. Good stuff. 
And I, just to be clear, I'm exaggerating slightly about never having seen it, because there is obviously, there's a lot of very nerdy lore stuff in here that proves she does know her stuff. I just, uh, it's a lot of Al's lines didn't ring true to me. That's all I meant by that. But there's plenty of stuff in there that proves that she's she's obviously a fan. Not that you need to be a fan to write a good book, but I think it's obvious she is. Yeah, there's even, um, she's trying to correct some of the things from Ashley McConnell. There's some course correction yes. going on in this, which yeah. I feel like goes even further off course than some of the other books, because I know some of the other books goes with the Ashley McConnell stuff, and then it's like, I, I don't know, all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> it's her planting her literary flag in the Quantum Leap universe and saying, no, this is my interpretation of it. And that's kind of what I like about the books going forward. Up until now, we've had a singular voice saying that this is how the universe is. And now we have not only an accomplished author, but a true fan, almost to the book's detriment, how big a fan she is. We can get into that, though, saying, no, this is the way I see it. And it doesn't mean that Ashley was wrong or that what she did was bad, but this is the way I, I look at it. And there were some significant differences that were more in line with what we saw on the show. A couple of things that were a little bit different than what we saw on the show that were a little weird, something in service to the plot in this especially. And um, uh, I think some of the Donna stuff, a lot of it was good, but uh, this is very much a Donna novel, isn't it? Mm. I liked a lot of the Donna stuff. Yeah, I feel like there were some things uh, with the Donna story that I feel were uh, in service of the character because on the show, she really got like a short shrift and I feel like it was addressing some of those issues. So I'm fine with Donna if she's written well. She's never going to be my favorite character, but uh, it's the same with uh, Sammy Joe, really. Like both characters, I feel like on the show didn't really get that greatest stuff. So it's nice when the novels can kind of take that and build on it really with anyone at the project, because they, I mean, they had barely anything to work with. It's a shame Donna is still there just to be Sam's wife, and that oh, the, the name of that theory completely escapes me, but you, you know the one I mean about women in literature and film that are only there to talk about other men and not actually... What's that thing? The Bechdel test? That's the one. That's the one. She's still playing that part. But at least she fleshes that out a bit, and, and we do get to learn about how Donna feels about that and, and the impact on her. So that's better than she's she's had in the past, but we still don't really know what it is she's bringing to the project besides moping around over Sam. Yeah, I do wish that her character had uh, something outside of Sam, and I'm not sure if any of the books really get that because she is sort of just, you know... The woman waiting on the cliffside by the ocean yes. for her love to return home kind of thing. Um, there's some Donna stuff in this book that very much <laughs> confused me. <laughs> there were some things going on. Really? Uh, I have a whole section on Donna. Can we go into Donna or are we doing something else? Let's talk Donna. I want to talk Donna, but I want to give a brief synopsis of the plot for anyone that might not have read it, because even though um, you, we you get a flavor, no, no, but uh, just who the leapy is and, and, and what's going on. So in this one, Sam leaps into a man named Philip Larkin, who is a computer scientist and a tech mogul. Um, he is also, I guess, a Renaissance enthusiast, and um, he is part of a group that does historical recreations. Uh, the dates of the leap are July 11th and 12th, 19. 
1987. And um, they're somewhere outside of New York. If I had to guess, they, they said they're 90, 90 minutes outside of New York City. So it's probably Sterling Forest State Park, which is up sort of by the Jersey border. It's about 90 minutes away. And they do a huge Renaissance Fair there every year. So I can't imagine that um, Melanie was thinking of anything else. But basically, it's about Sam and another guy at the Renaissance Fair named... Uh, Roger. Roger. Yeah, Roger Franklin. And they're fighting over the love interest of the book. Her name is Cynthia Malloy, who also happens to be a junior publishing agent from New York City. And both Sam's Leapy and Roger have written a manuscript and they're fighting over um, the hand of this woman and whoever wins the woman gets their book published. Uh, it was a little weird. And it <laughs> points to some of, the, some of the story limitations that we have in this book. Because it's the medieval rules. It's the medieval you rules. Have, you have to follow the rules <laughs> of the conduct. And then in the middle of all that, the woman, Cynthia, is all of a sudden replaced by Aaliyah midway through. And then it becomes very much a Sam and Aaliyah, evil leaper, I made you, you made me, you can't live without me, I can't live without you, rehash. So, um that's where the Donna stuff came in as a breath of fresh air. <laughs> so back to the Donna stuff. Yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. So um, first thing uh, I wrote was, uh, what is Donna's job? Are we ever told what her job at the project is? She's just there. I don't think so. Yeah. Because she seemed to be leading things in the leap back when they uh, leap Sam back into Owl and all that, but... It never really seems like she has any sort of real position. I don't. I don't think the books ever really explain what she brings to the table. <laughs> My full write-up of her in Beyond the Mirror Image, under the section of what everyone does at the project, is she is the director in Proxy, uh, Song and Dance. That's, that's <laughs> literally all. All I got. Director in Proxy, like what? Like when I guess both of them are gone. Yeah, if there's no real men around to lead, then. <laughs> 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 Gotta find a woman, I suppose. Because <laughs> she's busy doing something. It's just like, I, I, but what is she doing normally? I just don't, and she's supposedly Where's the like, Synchrotron guy? That's what I want to know. Yeah, he should be the director the in proxy. Guy? We should we should have had a novel about that guy. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, what is Donna doing? Like, she's a scientist herself. She was working at Project Starbright, so presumably she has some sort of smarts i mean is she just i don't know maybe she has sort of a generic try to get sam home job that everyone seems to have when it's not specified she seems to be set up as the diarist yes yeah, she's the watson she writes down all of sam's leaps apparently mm -hmm. from what melanie wrote in this in the context of this book much less what else is explored in the novel series it doesn't seem like she's anything but sam's wife who was there to lend him support like her brilliance complemented his genius and they built the project together or something like that. But it was very vague yeah. as to how and why and what exactly does that mean. Donna's there because Donna's there. Because the show put her there. Yeah, I wish we kind of knew who she was. I feel like none of the books really uh, establish exactly who she is. <laughs> This is that classic tie-in fiction thing, though, right? Where the, the authors are kind of trying to push things along a little bit, but not stray too much that, you know, be, being aware that they're in someone else's sandpit and that somebody else is going to be playing in it right after them and maybe setting themselves some boundaries. Nobody wants to suddenly give... I, I say nobody. I'm aware one of the authors is right here, so uh, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't want to come up with something that big that's going to totally shift everything. 
by gi- giving Donna a job. I feel like they did actually have some limits on what they could do, and Chris can attest to that, like how much you could actually add to it without changing. Yeah. The the strictures were this. You can't kill Sam off. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really change anything significant that happened on the show. But the back at the project stuff was pretty much all on the table. And especially at this point, um, Mirror Image had already aired. The series was yeah. over for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes. And I, I, I'm not going to say that Melanie's hands might not have been tied in certain key aspects of this book, again, which I'll get into. But it seems to me, especially the back at the project stuff, was the one place where they let all of the tie-in authors play to their heart's content. And Tina is the perfect example of that. Tina was a nothing character. She was a, a gag line yeah. for Al until she became <laughs> a savior in the fifth season and taught him how to love again. <laughs> and all of a sudden in the book, she's this genius that is only second to Sam in understanding how Ziggy works. Amazing. And everybody embraced that. Good for and, her. Yeah, and ran with that. <laughs> you know? Get it, girl. She got more than Donna did. That's the yeah. shame. And the thing is, I can't see if um, if Melanie had wanted to give Donna some kind of concrete role at the project, I can't see that anybody would have balked at that from Ginger on up through the NBC execs who actually, you know, review every book before it goes out. So uh, I, I just think that she wasn't interested in Donna's role. No, I think she I think she was exploring the emotional side of it. I don't think she was exploring yeah. like the lore of everything. She was exploring um how she feels about all of this, everything she's experienced and address some of the issues that uh, that we've brought up before. She knows about the leap involving her. And I don't think mm. the show ever established if she knew that Sam had changed time to put her in this position. They talk about her abandonment issues, um how she had difficulty uh, accepting that. Um Mm. Uh, they talk about uh, how she uh, would go to the waiting room all the time, but after he came back, she stopped going to the waiting room. So this is a significant leap for her that she's actually come back into there to talk to Philip and try and figure out how to get Sam home with this capacitor. They mm-hmm. talk about uh, when he came back that uh, in the leap back, uh, she remembers like the wounds on his head, the burn marks from when he oh. was in uh, shock theater. And how that was hard for her. She she didn't want to write that one down. She was writing down all of the leaps. So kind of interesting stuff. I just wanted to finish off one of my thoughts from earlier. I I never assumed that uh, anyone's hands would be specifically tied by editorial policy on any of the project stuff. More just that, and again, this is just me assuming that if I were in one of the writer's shoes... I don't know, there's some places I just wouldn't want to go because I'd be thinking, well, there's there's other writers that are going to come after me and I I don't want to make a, a major change that other people are going to have to follow. But then maybe that's why I'm not an author because... No, I- but it's, 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 it's just a fallacy that you have that the books are all of a sudden canon. Um, any author can do basically anything <laughs> that they can get away with in a book. It doesn't obligate any other author to pick up that, that standard and carry it forward. So, Chris. What? Why didn't you give Donna a job? <laughs> there was a very specific reason Donna was barely in my book. Very okay. specific. All right, fair enough. Yeah. But uh yeah. Okay. But, All right. No, that's, that's but, good. But what I'm saying is in service of the story. Whatever story you're writing is your story. You don't have to be beholden to what I wrote or what to Mel- what Melanie writes, what Carol's going to write, what you know what I mean? It's just your take on it. And getting back to um the Donna point that she knows about her leap, Allison, that you had mentioned. Yeah. I think that that was one of the best parts of the book because that was coming from Al's point of view, the first time that something Sam had done 
that significantly changed life for him back at the project. I know that Ashley played with reality shifting every time Al came in and out of the imaging chamber. And they sort of allude to that here as well. But the fact that he left, I guess, Washington 1972 or whatever, and he walks out and Donna's standing right there when she wasn't before, staggered him. Yeah, he goes into shock, like physical shock. Yeah, because he can't reconcile the two realities. So I thought that that was actually a really strong way to introduce that it's kind of logical that Donna would know what's going on because Al just couldn't hide the surprise, which I like. Yeah. I got to be honest. I like because I hate it when you as an audience know something that a main character doesn't for reasons of fake drama. Like to <laughs> me, that's like fake drama. Like why, why shouldn't Donna know that she's there because of something Sam did? Yeah. Well, because of uh, her getting the information out of him because she knows something's going on there and that's how she finds out about that. She finds out about him remembering uh, all the timelines as well. Mm. So it, all of a sudden, like, it started from Al is keeping this to himself. To he tells Verbena, to he tells Donna, everyone knows about this. <laughs> everyone knows about the timeline thing. But she doesn't remember. He does, but she doesn't. Because, like, she was talking about, like, um, Al was telling her about Sam's office changing but mm -hmm. she doesn't know what's changed about it. She's just wondering, like, what's changed this time? Or, like, remembering a time that they went out for dinner and then Al compliments mm -hmm. her earrings. But the earrings were something Sam gave her as a present. So it's they weren't new. They weren't new to her. So that was kind of interesting. I love that it gives us an opportunity to see a, a different side of the leap home as well. When Donna makes that reference to, like, okay, so it kind of evens the score that she got to meet him as a kid. And that's not something that I'd considered at the time. Does it even the score? I love the part that they talked about her meeting young Sam, because that would be so interesting to see. Yeah. But also, like, does that even the score? Like, he changed her <laughs> life completely. <laughs> it, it, it's a bad choice of words um, on Melanie's part, but the idea of the two of them interacting had never crossed my mind before that, and I really like that. Yeah. But obviously they don't, they don't, she doesn't go into it at all. Yeah, but then that was such an amazing twist in my mind because I had never considered what was young Sam thinking and they basically said that he remembered Donna even the 16 year old him because it's basically the same brain crossing the same brain he picked up a lot of older Sam's memories because he just naturally attuned to older Sam so when he got to the yeah. waiting room he knew who Donna was which was a little bit disconcerting for her but then all of a sudden they can distract him with basketball and coffee and <laughs> <laughs> like what? Like wouldn't young Sam be like, oh, did I, I built all this shit? You got to let me out of this room. You, you, no, no. Get, <laughs> what? <laughs> I feel like the Masons and New Orleans getting crossed. I mean, they do use that to, to story effect there, but they also use it to explain what the hell happens in leaps where Sam leaps out and like he's changed someone's life or he's made someone fall in love or whatever. Like they'd have to remember something about what Sam had done for anything to make so, any sort of sense. So that does sort of explain the like, well... People must remember what they need to remember. They've retained certain masons and neurons or something or other, right? <laughs> which was kind of good. Yeah, I, I still have a ton about Donna here. It's all over the place. Um, yeah, okay, so the, the alternate history thing. Um, they say that the rest of the team only have Al and Ziggy's word that anything have changed. So, again, that confirms that Al is the only one who remembers all, uh, different timelines, but no one else does. Um they say that Ziggy knows two histories, but Al experiences them. So it is sort of like uh, isolating there. Um, this is all 
coming from the the Donna stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I think that she actually at the end of the book gets to experience the dual timeline thing where she remembers two things because of everything that happens with Philip in the course of this book. Yeah, I, I, I would feel like it wasn't so much her remembering the two timelines as knowing that the timeline had to have changed because she remembers talking to Philip and that stuff, but not necessarily remembering when Philip wasn't around. And I thought that she was she was seeing bits of both. Well, she was because it was shifting, but I think like with everyone, it just they forget eventually, except for Al for some reason. Because of his, you know, neurological link with Ziggy, or I guess his nerve link because it was his nerve cells, right? Not his brain cells. Yeah, something like that. According to Prelude. (laughs) (laughs) Donna is going through a lot. She is writing about uh, their side of the leap for when Sam comes back and you're like, ah. (laughs) he's not coming back Uh, she's wearing his pajamas to bed she's been uh writing letters with katie to talk about Mm. sam and uh, katie knows about sam traveling in time also yeah i I wanted to i wanted to get into that i didn't know like if they'd ever confirmed if his family knew yeah according to this book you need a quad a whatever the hell out is quad a clearance to know about project quantum leap unless you're a beckett uh, because Thelma knows all about the project. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Katie knows all about the project. Yeah, why does the why do they know everything? Uh, I, I, now, Philip knows all about the project retroactively. Yeah. Uh, so, if you're a family member or a vague personal acquaintance of <laughs> Dr. Sam Beckett. <laughs> Which I, th- I think future novels move away from, right? I'm pretty sure at least Mirror's Edge, Tom has no idea of what's going on. Yeah, I, I always kind of saw it that his family didn't know about it, which um, further isolated him from his family because they thought it was kind of like the deal, you know, where he was—he didn't go to his like father's funeral and he was kind of busy in his own stuff. So I feel like, in my mind, his family just didn't know what happened to him. Yeah, and I, you know, I even played with that. It's one of one of the lines that I remember most. It was like a conversation that Sam has with Katie, and in this timeline, you know, um, both the dad and Tom are dead, and she's like, "Daddy's dead, Sam. Tommy is dead, and mommy's here all alone." And you think that she should move, but you're never around. You're in Washington doing whatever it is you do. Like they don't even know what he does. They just know that he's always working. That's the dynamic that I always saw. It's just like, which must be frustrating and alienating for them too, because there's just no way for them to reach him and to really be a part of his reality. But you know, that Thelma Beckett, she got that wisdom. (laughs) She's going to talk to Al about what God's plan is. (laughs) I absolutely adored that scene. I think to me, that was my favorite scene in the entire book. Really? Why was Al having dinner with Sam's mom? Why not? By himself. I mean, I guess not, why not, but I just I want to know what led to that. Why is it Sam's not there but Alice? <laughs> why is Donna giving him eerily, creepily, erotic back massages? Oh, I want to talk about that. Yeah. Oh, I want to talk about that. Let's get into that. Okay. <clears throat> Before we talk about the eroticism, I just I just have to counter Chris by saying, funnily enough, that that was the bit of the book that I just my note was why I don't I did not get the point of that I just didn't get the point of that it felt like padding um, that made me sad. You're pointing out a very significant issue with this book, which is I'm sorry, it's almost entirely padding, and we'll get into that. Yes. But yes. Th- it was a wonderful <laughs> character turn. It was a wonderful (laughs) character turn. This is a short book. It's 200 pages. And most of it, 
without the the history of Quantum Leap being retold in numerous different ways from numerous different points of view, there'd be no book here because the Leap story is just so weak. But uh, that, let, let's let's stick with let's stick with Donna and Al and the eroticism. Okay, I get, in, yeah, all right. <laughs> let's set room. this up for people. <laughs> it is Donna's birthday. Donna's ha- it's her birthday. And uh, in uh, their quarters, uh, Sam has left a birthday surprise for her. Uh, It's a bunch of roses and a card, which have been left by Al with Sam's instructions. Yeah. Because apparently, when he leaped back in the leap back, he knew somehow the night before that he was going to leave anyway, which completely changes how it happened in the episode. So he writes a bunch of cards for a bunch of different occasions for Al to leave his wife. <laughs> and so Al uh, goes into the waiting room at one point and sees that Donna is there with Philip Larkin. And she's trying to, uh, she's talking to him, trying to figure out stuff about this uh, capacitor thing. And um, with Philip there, <laughs> they're talking about all sorts of stuff going on at the project. They're talking about evil leapers. They're talking <laughs> about their personal histories. They're talking about all this stuff. And they're like, oh, what? A- I don't know. Philip had nothing to say about this, apparently. And so Donna's like, hey, thanks for the birthday card. And she's like massaging his shoulders. She starts massaging him. She's like, thanks for the roses. Should I expect an anniversary gift? And I wrote down, this is Donna Al fanfic. What is going on here? Why is this so intimate? And what is Philip thinking when he's watching this? Like, what is going on with these two? (laughs) Please, honey, not in front of the visitor. (laughs) Could they not go into the other room to do this? I will say, as as unbelievable as it was that Sam was home for, like, what, a matter of hours, and he, yeah, somehow decided that I'm probably going to start leaping again, and I'm just going to write years worth of cards. As unrealistic as all that was, I still thought it was beautiful. I got totally sucked into the romance of that which was slightly spoiled by all the stuff that Alison's just mentioned. Yeah, it's it's weird to tie in this romantic moment with her massaging his best friend. <laughs> it's presented in a very weird way. To leave her roses and stuff like this it's like turning into this weird threesome couple. <laughs> like We know everyone is looking at Project Quantum Leap. Um Yeah, maybe they were all, you know. Al Donna Sam was probably a thing before he started leaping. Before Sam leaped, uh he was a swinger and and they yeah. were all in a polyamorous relationship together. Absolutely. Why not? This completely changes the leap back if you're going to say that Sam knew mm-hmm. he was going to leap back yeah. the whole time. I feel like Melanie was trying to serve two masters there because I think she was going for that sweet, genuine touch of romance that Matt spoke to you so well. And then she had to say, oh, shit, the episode does not support that. So the way she retconned it is like you said, Allison, he waited until he sexed her up real good and she was passed out. And then he decided I might be leaping again. I knew something in, in him told him he was going to be leaping again. So let me write every card for every occasion coming up for the next 30 years. It's just like even she is saying, all right, I get it. It doesn't fit into the lore. But isn't it nice? Isn't it a nice moment? And I feel like there are a lot of nice character beats in this that she was more interested in exploring than actual story structure and logic and universe. Yeah, they could have had – I mean, I don't – they could have said maybe there was a leap where Sam remembered for some reason and he asked Al to write these cards for him or he wrote these cards and then mailed them to Donna yes. through time. That would have been something really cool. <laughs> yeah, then he could have just taken his time, ha- had a leap where he was there for a few weeks, maybe when he was in San Francisco with, um, what's her name? 
Tamlin. Sex in her up real good. <laughs> yeah. But he had weeks where when she was asleep, he could have been slipping the occasional letter in the post. Um, yeah, that would be uh, incredibly romantic. Yeah. Tamlin's just gone to sleep, so I thought I'd send you a uh, Valentine's card for 20 years from now. And that's one thing I'm surprised that... I, if Anyway, I'm not recalling that any of the books ever did. There is no reason why, on certain leaps, Sam doesn't remember Donna. I mean, maybe he does, and he just forgets it the next leap. I mean, it happens with leaps all the time. So it'd be interesting to explore that aspect of it, fictionally, the way they couldn't on the show. Yeah, they do sort of allude to that. They say that there's no physical reason why Sam shouldn't remember, doesn't remember this stuff. Like, he should be able to remember it, but he doesn't. They might be alluding to, like, some mental block that he has in place about this. They were trying to blame the flux capacitor. I'm sorry, the Larkin capacitor. <laughs> the, I'm sorry, the Morningstar <laughs> capacitor on a lot of the stuff that was going wrong with the project, which was an odd way to tie in Sam's current leap to, you know, bigger stakes in the future. And I don't know really how well that worked, but, I mean, the Morningstar of the title is basically the central MacGuffin of this entire novel, which is a little weird. Gotta say, it is impressive how important the Larkin capacitor or, or whatever it is is to, to getting him home, and they've never mentioned it before. <laughs> and it turns out that once 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 Sam fixed everything and now Larkin is, you know, someone that visits the project regularly, he's like, Oh, it turns out it's really not my thing. Oh, sorry, Donna. Better luck next time. It's like, yeah, remember <laughs> what? Remember their best friend, Philip Larkin? He always knew that guy. I thought, oh man, speaking of creepy Donna stuff in this, so Philip Larkin <laughs> is picking up some Sam traits. Yeah. He's got some residuals from Sam, which I feel like is something they, they didn't explore that much because we didn't see the people in the waiting room that much. The other residual side, you know, like them picking up Sam things. And Donna is just like, she's just so, so starved for Sam that like she gives in and kisses him at one point. I'm like, this is unethical. Kissing someone in the waiting room? Donna? It was the lightest of kisses. It was almost a Hollywood kiss. The lightest of kisses. <laughs> that is evening the score, though. Sam's just spent years leaping around time, pretending to be other people's boyfriends and or husbands and kissing them. Yeah, but he's not doing it to get back at her. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I know. But but now Donna has that. That is where Melanie should have said that Donna even the score because you know this is where she's now pretending that somebody else is Sam and kissing him. That actually balances the scales out much better than anything else. Yeah, but that's kind of different because Sam doesn't know what he's doing and she does. Like that really changes. The context. I mean, I think he's like an asshole for for changing time and then stranding her there and then abandoning her. Yeah, but Sam Sam knows what he's doing to all the other women. I'm not talking about this as evening the score uh. with Donna. It's more evening the score with the universe. It's some nice balance that Donna just goes, ah, you know what? I'm going to pretend you're someone else. While Sam's out there pretending he's someone else for all these women, <laughs> I'm going to pretend you're someone else. It, it, it wasn't meant to stand up to a lot of scrutiny. It, it was an offhand comment. I wish I hadn't spoken. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, I want to say real quick, Donna is a big hypocrite in this. They, so they, <laughs> they say that um, when Sammy Joe showed up, Donna's like, don't tell her about Sam being her dad. And it's like, what? That seems kind of unfair. You get to know about Yearly, but then you're like, Sammy Joe can't know anything. Mm -hmm. Hypocrite. 
I don't think that Sammy Joe angle was anything that Melanie was interested in exploring because Sammy Joe shows up briefly in one scene in this book and is mentioned only that one time in this book. And I think yeah. that if she felt like if she was going to explore the fact that Sammy Joe knew who Sam was, she would have to devote more story time to that. And maybe she just felt like she didn't want to go down that road. That's true. But why bring it up? Yeah, she could have gone down the same route that a lot of the other novels did and just go, yeah, Sammy Joe's not around in this version of the timeline. Whatever. <laughs> Sammy Joe's just missing from quite a few of the novels, and that's fine. Yeah, and, and think about it, too, because this takes place after Deliver Us From Evil, but it could very well have taken place before Trilogy. Yeah. Does Deliver Us From Evil lead, lead right into Trilogy? I'm trying to remember what the leap is after Jimmy Part 2. Um... It might be Trilogy, but that doesn't matter. I mean, on TV, he leaps into repeats sometimes. <laughs> Halfway through season two, he re leaps into Kamikaze Kid and Color of Truth. They have references to Shock Theater and Trilogy and Dr. Ruth. Yes. Which one is the latest one? I'll look at what the episode order is. Oh, so Dr. Ruth, because you got Dr. Ruth, then Blood Moon, then Return of the Evil Leaper. Yeah, we know Dr. Ruth went right into Blood Moon, because we saw Dr. Ruth turn into the vampire, so it has to be between Blood Moon and Return and Revenge, right? Blood Moon and Return, yeah. So Sammy Joe would be a fact at this point. Well, yeah, they de well, they definitely, like, reference trilogy and stuff, so... Yeah. Deliver Us From Evil does go into trilogy part one, but all of these novels, presumably, have to be sandwiched between leaps, unless they're all set between ones like MIA and Leap Home, where there isn't a Leap preview. You've just got to kind of assume that they're, they're all crowbarred in somewhere. But yeah, the, this one must be crowbarred in between Blood Moon and Return. That's interesting. I hadn't thought that it'd be, it, it must be... What's the Dr. Ruth reference? Well, it, w it was an odd thing, because in this book, Al sees Sam as the Leapy, and he sees the person in the waiting room, the visitor, as Sam, except for that one time when he inexplicably saw Dr. Ruth. And then it hasn't happened since? That's, that's, what? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, he saw Dr. Ruth as Sam, but never saw or heard anyone but Dr. Ruth. So I think, like, he just metaphorically, like, he just couldn't, he always saw the Dr. Ruth in <laughs> in there because it was so significant what happened with dr ruth but he even describes her physically so he says like a puff of dark hair and, and well that and, wouldn't be hard for him to know what she looked like she was a famous person or is a famous person so. the intimation in the book was that he saw dr ruth as dr ruth in the waiting room and then it, that also contradicts everything that happens in blood moon because dr ruth turns into um lestat and uh <laughs> He's all freaked out that there's a vampire in the waiting room. So obviously he sees the, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's definitely way more references to Al seeing the person in the waiting room as, as themselves and Sam as Sam yeah. uh, than the other way around. I, I feel like it's almost always that way after. Yeah. After Gloria. Uh, the first time Sam leaps into a woman. Yeah. 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 They, there might have been one or two where it seemed to elude the other way, but. Huh. Weird. Yeah. This goes into. Uh, <laughs> This is my favorite kind of catty bit in the book, where they talk about the mind-body leap thing. <laughs> I put that down specifically for you, Alice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was so <laughs> hilarious. Like, it's like, so they thought at first that the body in the waiting room was Sam's, but then Verbena's like, our bad, it's not. <laughs> and the, Sammy Joe sealed the deal for them, so shut up. It's not, the, it's not the mind leap, it's the body, idiots. <laughs> 
<laughs> Case closed. <laughs> she even plays with that after Philip leaves, um, someone else comes in almost immediately. And it turns out that it's a young man who is missing a thumb on his right hand. And he freaks out because he sees that Sam has a thumb and he goes to touch that thumb and his hand just goes right oh, through yeah, the yeah. aura of the yeah. thumb. So it's kind of like a nowhere to run thing. But how does that work, though? How does that work if it's the aura? Like, people would be able to know that Sam is not the person that he's supposed to be if they touch him and realize, like, he doesn't feel the same. Like, eight and a half months, like, how is she touching his pregnant belly if... I don't know. I mean, how is it if it's just the aura, so to speak, and he's in um, nowhere to run? Say there's a blanket draped over his legs. Wouldn't, like, his legs stick out kind of like even though you can't see them? Wouldn't they still physically be there somehow? I feel like people just see whatever they're supposed to see. How then is Sam able to tie the trouser pants down below the amputated area of his leapy's leg? Like you see it in the show, in the mirror, <laughs> when he stands up, if his legs are there. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, uh, well, that... That mirror shot is junky. But, I mean, there's surely just a difference between, like, going back to things like the eight and a half months versus the kid being able to pass his hand through his own aura. There must just be a difference between the way someone perceives their own self when they swap places with Sam versus other people. So, to other people, the aura is also something physical. And, yeah, if... if somebody touches Sam's pregnant belly, they can actually feel it because they think they can feel it. But when it's actually the person themselves, he knows he's not got a thumb. It's all in the mind. <laughs> yeah, so so it's the aura is just visual for him. It's not something physical. I can go with that, but he has a slightly different experience. Yeah, I guess like the person in the waiting room doesn't need to believe that they're Sam. So maybe whatever mojo's going on there. <laughs> I don't buy the whole thing that people see an aura themselves anyway. I know that it, they go that way in a few of the novels. but Yeah, I don't think they would see... I think they would only see it in the mirror because that seems to be the case in anything that we saw. Like, they didn't know that they were in Sam's aura until they looked in the mirror. The same with Sam. Like, whenever he looks at himself, he doesn't see the person he's leaped into or doesn't appear to. Like, Lee Harvey Oswald's a, a white guy. So, you know, he could look down at himself wearing a Fermi suit and not be aware that he actually looks like Scott Bakula um, until he looks in the mirror. I can kind of buy that, but it's never really established. Did we ever get a, a Leapy looking at themselves that wasn't a white guy? Well, no, that, that's what I mean. I don't think any of the, the black um, Leapies... Didn't Angel... Didn't, but didn't Angel... I mean, we had a female that maybe saw him... But she didn't see the reflection, like, on screen. She didn't? didn't uh, okay. No. Right. Nor, nor did we have a point where she looked down and went, where are my boobs? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if we go, if if it works the same in reverse, like Sam clearly does not notice things about himself that if he was seeing the aura, he would before looking in a mirror. Yeah. I assume people see themselves if they look down. Yeah, I think the only two people that we ever saw him, I guess it was Leon, saw him in, in the hooker's apartment and um, Oswald in the mirror on the table. But in, in the mirror. Yeah. Um, young Al saw himself. Oh, that's right. Yeah, this is a pretty neat trick. Yeah, okay. The looking down at themselves thing is only really established in the novels. And then, but yeah, by assumption, the fact that when Sam leaps in at the end of uh, the start of Color of Truth, he could notice that he's got black hands, but he doesn't. So we kind of assume in the series that people see themselves. Why would the one thing they include in the waiting room be a mirror? What a dumb yeah, thing to do. I know. <laughs> like, really? Right. 
<laughs> they have nothing else in there but a reflective table. Like, what's wrong with you guys? It's for narrative tension, Allison. <laughs> yeah. Wait, here's something I uh, I noticed. Um, so Al sees Sam as Philip, but Zoe sees Sam immediately. Yeah, what? So uh, Aaliyah hasn't touched him yet. So no. I don't know why she would. And that's established how it works with the evil Libras, too. Like, they didn't see Sam until Aaliyah's touched him and then Zoe's like hey who's this yeah there's like revenge that's half the plot of the episode is uh, Zoe not having a clue even though she's talking directly to him yeah we have the whole evil leaper side of this to go into and this took a lot of liberties with how evil leaping works not just leaping but evil leaping and uh, how Aaliyah comes in and goes out and it, it there were some really weird things that go on here yeah, was I misunderstanding this? Did Zoe show up before Aaliyah did? Yeah. It's like a scouting mission or it's, something? Yes, it yes. seems like they were actually hunting Sam in this book. And maybe that she centered on him before Aaliyah got there. I, again, we don't really know how the evil project works. I love that idea, though. I love the idea they can do that. And it doesn't go against anything. Well, it does. Does it, though? They took a lot of liberties with this. Well, let's let's get into some of that. I, I'm, I just mean the idea of, of Zoe turning up in advance. I don't think that contradicts anything on screen. Turning up in advance, being able to see and find Sam. That, yes. but One of the main conceits of this novel and what the third act twist hinged on was that all of a sudden, Lothos could center Aaliyah on anybody that Sam might be happening to touch at any given time during any given leap. Mm -hmm. What? That's, that's mm. now... Yes. That's a thing? What? <laughs> that would have been hugely useful in Return and Revenge, I'm sure. Yeah. So she was expecting to see Sam. He wasn't expecting to see her. But they kind of subverted that whole thing. Are they going to touch? Will they? Won't they? Oh, their hands just missed in the library. Oh, Sam, you don't know. You poor bastard. But in this one, she doesn't leap in until Sam is specifically touching Cynthia. Yeah. And so that they target her to come to him. So he knows that it's Aaliyah right away. So obviously the protocol back at the Evil Leaper Project is so much different here and has evolved quite a bit from Deliverers from Evil, which then never gets carried over into Return Revenge. Because in Return Revenge, it just seems like Aaliyah has leapt in coincidentally and Sam just happens to be there. In this one, they are specifically hunting Sam and sending Aaliyah where he is because they somehow can track him. So, uh, what? headcanon then. I can't. Help. After this episode and before Return, back at our project, they realise that this is a bit of a problem and they figure out how to stop Lothos from doing that in future. Simple as that. They do what? seem to work a little different at the at the evil project. It's got to be unwound somehow. Yeah. Either Lothos forgets how to do it, or Ziggy finds a way of blocking it. <laughs> it's the computer battle. They're blocking it. <laughs> yeah. Put up a firewall on that one. Hmm. Did they scramble? Like, kind of like, did they did they hypnotize Sam? Like, they hypnotize Aaliyah so that they can't track him in time? It's the, the prequel problem that Star Trek gets into a lot, where something happens before something that's established and we're meant to just forget about it. The classic example of this is Star Trek VI, where suddenly they can identify a cloaked Klingon ship, which is forgotten in every future Star Trek, including the ones they'd already made before that, but are set afterwards. And just at some point in the meantime, uh, Klingons figured out how to get around that. And it's never explained, but who cares? 
it was just necessary for that bit of the plot. And it's just necessary for this. It's a, it's a, it's a weird development that Melanie Rawn came up with. And I can buy that sometime after that, um, it got undeveloped. Okay. Yeah, there's, uh, there, there are definitely inconsistencies that, that don't really match up with there being this leap in between deliver and revenge and return. The fact that, um, Alan Sam thought Aaliyah died. Uh, at the end of Deliver Us from Evil, uh, but evidently, like, she didn't. It, it, but in return, they seem surprised that she's alive there, as if they didn't know that she was still around. Even though they didn't... Sam ended the leap saying Aaliyah's still around, so why would they think that she's dead if he said that? So it, that didn't really add up either. I feel like Melanie was just building off of Deliver Us from Evil and wanting to not get into anything that we saw in Return Revenge because number one, she's then breaking her own timeline. But number two, it's going to sap some of the story mojo that she wants to have for this particular encounter with Aaliyah. So she's conveniently forgetting it. Narratively, it makes sense because Sam wouldn't necessarily know that Aaliyah is still alive. Even though he said, no, she's out there, and I don't think, you know, we've seen the last of her or whatever right before he leaps. But Aaliyah describes what happened the last time that they saw each other uh, when they meet in the library in Return of the Evil Leaper. Like, she's like, you don't know what, what they did. It was worse than death, uh, as if describing it for the first time. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and that, yeah. that that's where this falls apart. So <laughs> it's best forgotten about, Alice. <laughs> But this is a significant issue that I had with this book. And since we're here now, it's just a good time to say it. This book was basically Evil Leaper fanfic. And the problem that <laughs> Melanie had with it, uh, because she, I think she loved the concept of Aaliyah, she loved the concepts of the Evil Leaper, but she in no way, I don't know if it's because she didn't want to, didn't know how to, or just plain couldn't. Maybe this was something that was off the table, but she in no way expanded on the mythology of the Evil Leaping Project. All she did was repackage and rehash every single thing we've ever heard about the Evil Leapers in those three episodes. Even when we had something from Aaliyah's point of view, it was so vague as to what the Evil Leaper Project was. She just mentions Lotho, she mentions Thames, she's saying that it's a type of hell and then a different type of hell, but- some stuff but there was nothing substantive about where they come from why they're doing what they do you would think that if you have an Aaliyah point of view chapter that you would finally get some kind of insight into just where the fuck do they come from and what's going on they here they speculate about some stuff I do think there's some some things thrown in there to, uh, to make you think a little bit um, they wonder if Aaliyah's from the future they're like 2010 yeah, 2010 2015, 2015. <laughs> yeah <laughs> They establish Tams apparently as the torture guy at the yeah. at the project, the evil project. So they kind of give him a role. What was he doing before he was observer for Zoe? They do some stuff with Aaliyah here too. Uh, Aaliyah just wants Sam to kill her. She just wants to die. And I'm not sure that was really part of her character before. Like, um, she definitely was like conflicted about what she was doing. But here she's she's basically on a suicide mission. She just wants him to like to end it all. Hmm. I thought that was okay, but it, again, it, I was so I was so wrapped up in the fact that we're just getting vague and rehash information that you didn't have anything else but 
the emotional aspect of Aaliyah playing off of, you know, her dichotomy with Sam and the fact that she just feels hopeless. And a lot of this book just, again, tread on that same stuff that ended deliver us from evil and i guess that's that's logical from where it takes off on from the plot you know with with the you can't exist without me i can't exist but i hated that ending yeah. anyway so it's just <laughs> like they're extrapolating on an ending that i never bought to begin with i i, I, I love that like <laughs> al brings that up like you think that like if she kills you or you kill her you'll cancel each other out you're a fucking dumbass <laughs> yes. it's basically what he says like that's the stupidest fucking thing i ever heard <laughs> shut up <laughs> There is one thing that I think this book does, and it doesn't go far enough, but it starts kind of exploring something that I did take issue with in Return. As much as I love Return, I never got why Sam is suddenly like, oh no, she she's not evil, she's just misunderstood. And that that's just that's just a thing. And it's not there's no explanation for that besides Sam's natural optimism and sense of positivity. And in this book, the same thing happens. He's still talking about how she's... It, I mean, he says at one point that she's been chosen like him, which, well, if you look at it like that, he was chosen because he's a natural good guy, so presumably she was chosen because she's evil. But parking that for a moment, <laughs> he does give her quite a free ride to say, no, she's probably good. And that at least just establishes that ready for return. But it, I still think Melanie missed a trick by really going into redeeming Aaliyah more in this one. As it is, she just kind of stretches out to the point that Sam's a dumbass and thinks that Aaliyah must be lovely. <laughs> she just brings that plot point back from Return and, and starts it off in her own novel rather than really fully resolving it. But it, it sort of feels a little bit more natural taking place over a bit more of a period of time. I mean, they talk about the fact, um, they kind of introduce this element that Aaliyah has made some sort of bargain with Lothos here. There was some reason why she got involved with this, and now she's trapped in the situation, just like Sam. And um, it does help to build up what they it really it didn't have any build up at all when it got into return. So it's it's nice in that way. Um, they do speculate about the evil project, where it might have come from, which I don't think they had a lot of time to do in the other episodes because there was just so much going on and they're like well i mean what what if it came from us i mean the project is built like ours so it has to be something to do with us right and i was like well if the project came from us then i'd have to suspect anybody that i've ever worked with and i'm not going to live that way mm -hmm. so i'm just not going to mm. think about it it's donna with a goatee it's Chilton Donna. She's evening the yeah. score. Yeah, that's right. She's yeah. pissed off. That's what he never came back. I'm going to go back and destroy all this stuff. That's what I want. Oh, Donna is Lothos. That's it. Yeah. We solved it. All right. There Podcast we go. Over. Who is Join Lothos? Us next time. Lothos, is, <laughs> Lothos is omnipotent. Lothos uh, has people do dirty work for him. This feels like far more than just a computer. All is possible with Quanta, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's uh, apparently it's some kind of supernatural being with prescience and it, it's like evil Ziggy slash Satan. Obviously, yeah. they're, they're alluding that it's a demon or some sort of satanic figure because of just the whole Judeo-Christian framework that Quantum Leap clings to with the GTFW stuff. But it still doesn't make much sense. Is it the boogeyman that we saw in the boogeyman? Who, who, who is it? <laughs> I feel like it's someone running things behind the, the scenes that they don't know. 
like someone using this computer, kind of the the man behind the curtain or woman or <laughs> whoever, you know, like I feel like that has to be it. And maybe they know stuff because they, they're involved with time travel and they must they seem omnipotent, but they're not really. I feel like that's like the the explanation that makes the most sense to me cuz if you're going to go with they're sent to do their deeds by the devil like Sam's sent to do his deeds by God it's not literally God hanging out at the project doing all of these right, things right. so you wouldn't literally have the devil at their pro- I feel like maybe someone who's you know doing the devil's work for him you know something like that Although, can I just say, I, I love the idea that at the project there's a cafeteria and Bruce McGill is there serving <laughs> burgers. Hey, guys. <laughs> uh, no one wants to sit with God at their table. They're like, I'm uncomfortable with this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at the evil project, it's Bruce McGill with a goatee and John <laughs> is, his, is his soldier. And they only serve um, cheeseburgers with ketchup and onions at that cafeteria. <laughs> I'm sorry, and I now my mind is just reeling because I'm now suddenly seeing the leap back as the origin story for Donna's descent into evil. Jesus Christ. Oh, this writes itself. <laughs> it's Donna. Donna is Lothos. Lothos is Donna. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I know that we had a lot of issues in Ashley's novels about the characterization of Sam and Al and their relationship I, with I just want to say real another. quick. Oh, go okay. I just want to say real quick before we move on from from this stuff, they did have a line about uh, if Aaliyah is like speculating if Aaliyah is stopping Sam from quantum leaping at all. And if that was the case, then uh, that would seem to confirm the evil leapers didn't come from Project Quantum Leap, because if they stop that, then they stop themselves. True. Or do they just exist on a separate timeline and go forward without Sam's interference? Parallel timeline. Right, because they already exist. So I don't know. Uh, it depends on your interpretation of the way time travel works, I guess. <laughs> but in the show, it works where you can change stuff. So, so yeah, but, but getting back. So I know in Ashley's books, we talked a lot about the dynamic between Sam and Al and their relationship with each other and their characterizations overall. Uh, we finally have a new author taking a stab at it. And I, for one, want to say that Sam and Al felt so much more like Sam and Al in this book than they have in any book so far. What did you guys think of the way Melanie handled uh, both characters and the relationship between the characters? I thought it was great. I thought there was um, a great sense of humor to it. Uh, I mentioned that in my initial impressions. Uh, I thought the way that they interplayed with each other, even when there was something serious going on, like Al's always got kind of a joke to throw out to try and kind of like ease the tension there. I love him showing up at the beginning and just annoying Sam during the joust. <laughs> like when like Sam gets his ass handed to him and then Al's like, pathetic. <laughs> and I thought that that was going to herald a return to the fact that they just don't like each other. And I was a little bit leery because it felt like the Ashley dynamic all over again, where Al just comes in and is just a total jerk to Sam for no reason and just snarks at him. And Sam is angry and off put and annoyed. <laughs> and it was just like, here we go again. But that went away pretty quickly, and I was happy to see it go away, because in this book, they actually felt like friends. Yeah, he was trying to, sometimes he's just throwing the jokes out to, like, you know, get, like, Sam, you're taking things too seriously kind of thing, you know, like, Sam's kind of down on himself, and he's just like, hey, you, you know, like, geniuses all have secret hobbies, you know what yours is? Hula dancing. <laughs> <laughs> just making it up, because it's just bullshit, <laughs> Sam's laughing about it. <laughs> pretty good. 
I just didn't feel like that stuff had to be there at all. Like, yeah, I, I had the same feelings as you did, Chris. Sort of, okay, is this going to be a return to what Ashley's done? And Melanie does move on from it very quickly. But it bothered me that it was there at all. I didn't see the point of it. Like, Al does seem to be a, a bit of a dick towards the start. But for the <laughs> most part, the interplay between them is quite believable. There's a bit of a season one vibe. I don't know quite what it is. Yeah. But, hey, season one is still canon quantum leap so that's fine there was just there was a lot of lines that just i don't know i, I paraphrased one of them at the start and alice and you said yeah that sounds like al i don't know i guess it didn't to me one of my favorites is when al says moses on a pony <laughs> what, what the yeah, hell's moses on a pony i don't know about <laughs> moses on a pony I, there was one that sam said too that like i was like well, this doesn't sound like sam he said, he's looking at his outfit and he goes what in the name of giorgio armani have you got on <laughs> yes <laughs> like what <laughs> It's minor stuff. He's awful judgy of Al's outfits when he started it, you know? <laughs> As is Melanie. I mean, she mentions that his his suit looks like Carmen Miranda's hat. I love that line, but it's, uh, she's quite snarky about it too. But yeah, def- definitely characterization, I think, is getting a lot closer to the Sam and Al that, that we've come to know and love. Just some of the Al lines made me cringe a little. Well, there was, there was a line that made me laugh that Sam said. Uh, when he's searching Larkin's tent for the prototype capacitor that he thinks is going to rescue him and bring him home. They mentioned something about Kalamazoo and Al not wanting to go there. And <laughs> Sam said something like, are you telling me that of all the ports of call, Kalamazoo is the one place where you don't have a gal? Which is, you know, I got a gal in Kalamazoo. Made me laugh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm okay. glad you explained it because I didn't get that. I yeah, gal. I didn't get that. So. In Kalamazoo. <laughs> I got a gal. The joke was just too smart for us. Phew, went over our heads. I like swing music. <laughs> I love when they do like cornball jokes like that, though. We're just like groan worthy. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, though, that, that struck me is a little bit anachronistic. Just go with me on this. Al loves to play knight to the round table and yeah, he can yeah, name the knights. Those kids oh. in their computer games are missing out on that. This is the same Al that shit all over anybody that played D&D in Another Mother and basically called them nerds yeah. and dweebs and, and losers. All of a sudden, he loves knights. That's the original D&D. <laughs> he was storming the attic at the orphanage with his buddies playing knights. No way. Were they reading Sir Thomas Mallory? Were they reading T.H. White? What were they reading that they knew the names of all the knights? And I, I just, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, in the 40s, what else are you going to do? You're going to be playing pretend all the time, right? Like, there was, like, uh, the Great Depression and all that stuff going on. All they had was, like, little green army men and pretend. That's it. Yeah. That's but- all they had to do in the orphanage. <laughs> they play with the roach, Kevin. That's about it. Uh, it just struck me as weird. Did they dress the roach up in a little <laughs> queen's outfit? <laughs> yeah. If they had computer games, they'd be playing them, but... <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that Al is all of a sudden wants to be part of the Medieval Chivalry League, which I guess is the stand-in for SCA, which is the Society for Creative Anachronisms, which in every medieval recreation that I've seen here on, on the East Coast, especially on Long Island, it's always the SCA that is doing it. And I know that they're nationwide as well. So I'm wondering if Melanie is giving a tip to them uh, with this MCL that she makes here. Maybe Al's into the the sword play aspect of it. Am, am I misremembering they establish Al can fence in this? They said something about him fencing? No, I think that it was Sam chiding himself at the very end when he's fighting Aaliyah with the big broadsword that he was holding it like a fencer when he should be holding a lightsaber. 
instead. And he pretended he was Luke Skywalker, and that gave him the upper hand. Groan. W- was Al trying to like tell him some stuff about Fen- like using the sword? Maybe I'm misremembering. I don't recall Al knows everything coming into this one very much. What does the book say, Matt? What does Beyond the Mirror Image say? Does it have Al's fencing history? <laughs> I feel like at some point it was established he could fence. And I was trying to figure out what the origin of that was. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at Beyond the Mirror for something else at the moment, actually. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's been established before that he could fence. It seems like something he should be able to do. I've got no issue with that. Yeah, I don't have an issue with it. I was just trying to figure out where that came from. Oddly enough, they were a fairly even match at swordplay. In a moment of sheer insanity, Sam wondered if they'd watched the same Errol Flynn swashbucklers when they were kids, or maybe the Star Wars movies, and suddenly he understood something about how to use this <laughs> massive sword. Don't try to be an Olympic fencing champion, idiot. Be Luke Skywalker. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, so, there you go. Before we move on to Star Wars, can I just say... Alberto Ernesto Giovanni Battista Calavici. Yeah, what? What? what, what? Yeah, what? That's all I want to say. <laughs> what? Just, Excuse that's, that's... me. Where did that come from? There's, uh, there's a lot of name stuff going on in this. <laughs> Melanie Ron has taken the time to uh, give everyone a middle name, a, a longer name. A, yeah. I don't. She she gives Sam's whole family a whole. She gives Sam a middle name. Samuel John Beckett. Was that established? Maybe it was on his driver's license or something. Did they say on the show his middle name was John? Another John? It's got to be a John. Middle name John established in Starlight Starbright. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess she got that from there. Yeah. Points to Melanie there. Um. Okay. So the but Starlight Starbright also establishes that Thelma's middle name is something different to what it is here. Yeah, um. Thelma Catherine Nee Taylor Beckett, uh, and John Barrett Beckett. Yeah, it's Louise in Starlight Star, right? Yeah, Thelma Louise, I remember being the, the show name. His brother's Thomas Edward Beckett, mm-hmm. and then Catherine Louisa Beckett. So she's given the middle name from the mom to the sister, I guess. Yeah. I don't know why we needed everyone's <laughs> full names. You know why? Because the story was very thin, and we just needed to rehash everything we ever knew about every character in the series to pad it out. <laughs> Yeah, this was a, a shorter book. Uh, yeah. This is only like maybe 219 pages, a little over 200. The leap itself, like Sam's leap, was less than 24 hours. Just going back to Al for a second, Ashley had established he had the middle name M. She's given him three middle names, three <laughs> opportunities to use an M, and no, she just, just you know. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what those names are, too. I guess it's his first name, his middle name, his confirmation name is the hyphenated name. And then yeah, maybe he I, keeps I, part of his mother's name? Who I don't know. Who deserted him? I, oh, yeah, yeah. They give uh, Al's grandma a name. They say that she, she, Dorothea Abruzzi. Dorothea Abruzzi. Yeah, is it normal to have the last name of the place like you grew up in? Because Abruzzi is where his, his father was from, right? Yeah, but I mean, uh, Abruzzi, that's, that's an Italian name. I know it's a place too, but... Yeah, it's a place that it presumably his grandma was because his father was from Abruzzi. Uh-huh. My name was Christopher Sicily until my grandfather came over and changed it to DeFilippis. No, it, I don't know that it makes much sense, but it's an Italian name. <laughs> so he's from Abruzzi. Well, it is. It just, I don't, it just seemed weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed weird to me that she had this fetish for just giving everybody names. Yeah. We couldn't yeah. get any more detail about the evil leapers. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, they do actually. Okay, there was another evil leaper thing it didn't bring up. They talk about perhaps their plan being trying to get Sam to switch sides. 
I think that would be the ultimate coup, right? That'd be like turning Luke to the dark side. Yeah, they're like, but he's mm. not ready yet, as if this is like a long-term thing. Yeah, well, they're playing the long game. I mean, now they can pinpoint him in time. Oh, wait. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting in, in the context of the story, I think, that Melanie's telling. And I think that had we gotten that as being their ultimate goal to turn Sam, that would have been great. But unfortunately, we don't have any more motivation for the evil leapers aside from some random speculation. And uh, it's great because it's Donna back there saying, fuck you, Sam. I'm going to turn you evil because you fucked me. Now I'm going to fuck you and everybody you ever helped. It writes itself. I'm telling you. There was a story I read, a fanfic I read once, and I'm not trying to call this person out because I really enjoyed this story, but also it was insane. So (laughs) I think it was another vampire story. It makes it seem like there's a lot of vampire stories in Quantum Link. I just happened to have found some of them. But anyway, part of it is that it's a slash story. So like Sam's like, just kidding, Donna. I am going to get with Al now. And then Donna does not handle this well at all. And so she confronts him with a gun. Like, I'm going to shoot him. (laughs) You can't leave me. (laughs) It was very, very good. awesome. (laughs) It was amazing. And it it didn't seem like it kind of came out of nowhere in the story, too. It's like, what? Donna's with a gun now. All right. (laughs) Okay. Why not? She found Al's little safe. The one he used when uh, he went after Styles, right? He had a gun in there. Right, yeah. The, right. The, and his grappling hook. It wasn't hook. even a safe. It was just a shelf with a bunch <laughs> of stuff on it. He should have gotten the grappling hook instead. And she's like, I'm grabbing it from the gun shelf. <laughs> and take him out. I know that we've been talking a lot about Al's characterization and sort of the dynamic between Sam and Al. What did you guys think about Sam in this book? I thought she she was able to get Sam in character in a way that's very difficult to do because Sam is more of a, a straight-laced character. It's easier to do quirky things, I think. But she got his energy down. She talks about the fact how he's like pacing all the time. Yeah. Like when he's thinking he's moving, and that's a very Sam Beckett, very Scott Bakula thing to do. He's always pacing around. So I thought like she had a, a good balance there. Yeah, I definitely got that vibe as well. He seems to be unusually homesick. In this story, and he, yeah. he he gets that in certain episodes, and it, it I didn't quite get what triggered that in this, but if you compare him to the way he is in like Catch a Falling Star and other ones where he has a bit of a tie to being back home, uh, I thought she captured that really well. Maybe he like he just come out of Blood Moon, and he's like, "That sucked. <laughs> Can I get? Come on, the show's <laughs> running out of ideas. Can I get home now, please?" <laughs> And they're like he compares it to like you know they're dangling a carrot in front of him you know like oh maybe you can go home and he's like screw you I don't want to do this anymore and then he's like oh I'm stilling in England bloody hell <laughs> where's a peddler when you need him yeah you know, the old seventies peddler <laughs> what I, I it's kind of a strength kind of a weakness of the book is the fact that we have Sam here having a crisis of conscience and basically running into the cornfield saying I'm not going to do it anymore don't mm-hmm. look at me yeah and. I feel like we've seen that before, and it's not that it's hack. Like, that's an honest place for Sam to be at certain points. I mean, I did it myself in, in Paradox, so I, I get it. Like, the, the character would be at his wit's end eventually because mm-hmm. he's just doing everything for everybody else. But I feel like we've seen that before. This book spent a lot of time with Sam being mopey and, and resentful. 
it redeemed itself at the very end when Al tells him that Tom is alive and he's got his second grandkid on the way. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Sam's entire outlook changes. Like you can almost hear like, this quantum leap thing isn't so bad. Yeah. He thinks about his niece with the white streak that with she's the inherited. <laughs> Was she also hit in the head with a gun? Or <laughs> <laughs> You can hear the music swelling up behind him as he walks out onto yeah. that field with this renewed sense of purpose. And I thought, okay, mopey, whiny Sam was worth it for this wonderful little character beat. Again, another wonderful little character beat. This is the Sam I love, the optimist, the guy that wants to help people, that believes in what he's doing. Yeah, he's feeling like unusually cynical because he's kind of down on himself. He says at one point that he trusts him and Al and no one else. And that seems like something like just he's in a dark moment because I don't think all the time it's he doesn't trust anyone but Al and himself. So, yeah, he's. I think he's just at his wit's end about this this stuff, and uh, Aaliyah is capitalizing on that. And obviously, like Zoe heard him talking about this, so they're um they're preying on his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Sam like is just, he's just so homesick, and uh, he just wants to know something as simple as knowing the color of his eyes. Mm. You just don't like. Can you imagine just not even knowing the color of your eyes? Yeah. So um, uh, the fact Aaliyah gives that to him near the end, I thought that was that was really great. And then he he was able to do it for her as well. I liked Aaliyah in this because she was working both ends towards the middle. She had to appear to be working against Sam while trying to favor or or create an opportunity where Sam might be able to help her, yet still put her own self in an opportunity where she could kill him if she had to. Mm. I mean, she had a lot of heavy lifting to do on the sleep. And the fact that they just turned her into a raving lunatic at the end with what did they call it, like <laughs> battle lust or bloodlust? <laughs> yeah, she's basically she's she's kill me. Don't leave me like this. Kill, kill me. me. Kill me or I'll kill you. But someone's going to die. Someone's going to die. Clunk. Someone gets hit in the head with a morning star. Her whole plan. She's like, Zoe, can you <laughs> leap me into Roger at the last second in this battle? It was pointless. <laughs> it just felt like like this was a whole big thing, and it's like for what you could have killed him at any point if you were just gonna yeah. kill him or or goad him into killing you. This whole swap at the last second, like okay, why that whole thing fell apart a little bit. It it made for a cool chapter ending, but it felt like some of the episode endings of Quantum Leap, where he's like, oh, cool, tune in next week. Oh, no, he's in a monkey. It's not that. Good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and also, it, it, it's consistent with the evil Leaper endings not making much sense. How is it when Aaliyah got ripped away at the end of Deliver Us From Evil, Sam all of a sudden leaves back to three days before and none of it ever happened? What? Yeah. Yes. Like, oh. I, d- I okay. did like during that, that joust ending when, when uh, Aaliyah pulls out the Morning Star and then Al says, Holy shit! Look out! That's a Morning Star! <laughs> <laughs> Well, he would know from playing in the orphanage. I love whenever they throw out a shit in one of these because they couldn't say him on the show. No? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, when you had Al chiding Sam about Aaliyah can't exist without you, you can't. Ex-, he didn't say you were a fucking dummy. He said that's the biggest load of bullshit you've ever given me, or something like that. Yeah, he's basically <laughs> saying you're a dumbass. So yeah, it, it's funny in the books they are allowed to curse. Uh, I don't know. Does that ruin the show? It's never egregious. No, I don't think so. I think, like, if they were allowed to, they would curse. I think you got to be choosy about it. I don't think we need, like, sheer fucking hubris thrown in here. Yeah. But, um, (laughs) like, I I think it's cool that you're able... It's like when you see the X-Files movie versus the X-Files show, they're allowed to say more swears because they're not television, so you can do more. Yeah. I feel like it's it's within Al's character to say, holy shit. 
More than likely. God, I'm going to have a lot of uh, sensor bleeps in here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what are the notes do you have, Allison? Have we gone through? No, I have a bunch. I'm going to try and go through them quick because I know we've been going for a while. All right. I found it interesting in the uh, the void in the beginning. They talk about Sam trying to remember things in his life. Um, this is kind of typical for one of these void segments in any mm-hmm. of these books. Um, I thought it was interesting that it ends with uh, he's, all of his senses, all of these things are slipping away. And it says, he let it go. So it's not just it's taken away. For, he let it go. He just lets it slip away from him. Maybe at this point he realizes what's what's the sense of fighting, right? Yeah. What I really loved about that, it's like the first line. And they're talking about not just the fact that he's in the void, but the, the actual physical feeling of leaping. It never occurred to me, could leaping be a little bit painful? What does it feel like to leap? Mm. Yeah. He talks about having brain burn and um, like the electricity. <laughs> and yeah, it just, it, it yeah. never occurred to me. Like I could, maybe there's a feeling, but could it be an unpleasant feeling? I don't know. I guess if you were being reduced down to atoms and going through time, I don't know. It's kind of weird feeling, regardless of if it's painful. It can be an unpleasant feeling if Lothos gets a hold of you, that's for sure. We've seen that on screen. So. Oh, yeah. Then you turn into rainbow. I love the descriptions of that ending, trying to make it seem more cool than it was. Because when you see the actual effect and Deliver Us, when they're like, yes. the evil leapers are all warping away, like it looks really, really silly. <laughs> but described in this book, it's like, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> What other void observations did you have? Uh, so there's some memories uh, that Sam's uh, remembering in the void, just going over things with his family. Um, when he's two, Tom goes to the second grade and he cries because he thought he wouldn't come home. Interesting parallel to what happened later on. Okay. <laughs> there was uh, a line that made me laugh. Uh, I wrote it down exactly. Saving Sir Percy from terminal nerdship were his remarkably fine eyes. <laughs> okay. His terminal nerdship, but he's got fine eyes. <laughs> fine eyes. Wait a minute. I think Donna and I had a threesome with this guy once. <laughs> hey, we liked your we saw you from across the club. We liked your vibe. <laughs> we all know what it's like to have terminal nerdship here. Oh, oh Jesus, yeah, that's mm-hmm. for sure. That's the name of our game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that uh, that Melanie Ron threw a bunch of things in in there. Like, um, the, her wording was kind of quirky at times, and I enjoyed mm. that. Like, it felt like there was some life to it. It could be a little bit dry in some of the Ashley McConnell novels. There was a lot of great stuff, but uh, I I feel like this um put a little more personality into the oh, for sure the writing. Ashley stuff could get downright somber. I mean, let's just call it, it could, yeah yeah. And this is this was like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, and there's like a place for that too. I I love the the really serious stories as well, but it's it was nice to have something very different, and this did feel different. Um, there's a a, a thing I think uh, Melanie was trying to get going, and I don't think this became a thing in the in the novels where Sam recalls his life BQL before quantum leaping. Right. <laughs> oh, I had that as one of my notes. BQL <laughs> sounds like an early '90s rap band. That read to me, and this is getting really picky, but it was it was just one of the things that really made me cringe. It read to me as bad young adult fiction. Like, apart from increasing the word count by introducing an acronym and then explaining it, and then using it again once, once in the novel, all that does <laughs> is increase the word count. It, oh, yeah. It, <laughs> I haven't read anything since I was about 12, 
where the main character or the voice of the narrator or whatever has introduced an acronym just to sound cool and then kind of forgotten about it. I mean, we have GTFW has been a thing. But that's the... I think that's our thing. I think we invented that. But that's, that's, that's <laughs> fandom. No, GTFW, I think, originated in, in the Ashley McConnell novels, didn't it? No, not that I'm aware of. Not using the initials. I swear that it came from the novels or it came from the virtual seasons. It was something I read a long time ago and it became a thing. All right. It may come from the virtual seasons, but then, yeah, if, if it did, I stand by my point that pointless made up acronyms. But you could just <laughs> describe it. Just this. What is the need for BQL? BQ, I like that, though. It's like BQL. BQL. It's, oh, you yeah. know, that was life. BQL. Sam would not <laughs> call it BQL. It's just nerdy. Oh. <laughs> That's the most popular sandwich that Bartender All serves at the Quantum yeah. Cafeteria. <laughs> you want a BQL? <laughs> Can I get a schooner with that? <laughs> Yeah, schooner and a BQL. It would go better than coffee and salmon. I'm glad you brought up BQL. I needed to rant about that. Here's the most important thing in this book. Here's the most important tidbit that we get. Sam says he's allergic to rum. Therefore, he cannot party hardy drink some Bacardi. (laughs) I have that in my notes too, Sam. Allergy to rum. But Allison's going to have a field day with that. Well, uh, this just throws everything into turmoil. <laughs> he can't party hardy, drink some Bacardi, betraying the ABC rap original lyrics. Which is the, the cornerstone of all of Quantum Leap canon. <laughs> That's true. I thought that was so funny. Like, I, I, I'm allergic to rum. It is kind of a weird plot detail anyway. I guess it doesn't really matter, but just Sam's allergic to rum, I guess. The only reason I commented on it was because of the party hardy Bacardi thing. So (laughs) that's all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's some more. Verbena tried to publish a paper about young Sam. About young Sam interacting with older Sam. Yeah. Why would she try to publish a paper about anything at the project? Because again, secret. No, unless, unless you don't want it to be. It's selectively top secret. <laughs> she she tried to publish it, and they're like, "This sounds outlandish." But what if she had published it? Would she just get fired immediately? Like <laughs> the fact that she's even able to send something out to a publication, you know, for review, and then they turn it down, and she canceled her subscription. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a joke. It's just yes. a silly joke. This seems very out of character for Verbena. It seems like she's the one with her head on her shoulders, the best out of everyone, and she. Oh, what a dumb dumb move. Yeah, but then she's really not in this book except to give Al a dirty look because he happens to wander into her quarters by mistake for three seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah. She doesn't say a word, and then he backs away and closes the door. So it's actually the same as Verbena is in the series. It says NBA over her office. No bullshit allowed. (laughs) Oh, another made-up acronym. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) NBA, BQL. BBQ. Uh, Another uh, little detail that I liked. Uh, Al goes to the waiting room every day. Every day. What else he got to do? But I mean, like, what a sad life Al has. (laughs) He can't go out and do anything. He goes to the waiting room every day and he's hoping maybe like Sam's back, maybe something else, something new, some new development. But it's always like, it's always some new person. Or, depending on how long it is between leaps, he could be going for, like, weeks or for months or however long just going to an empty waiting room. It's kind of a sad thought. Poor Al. Poor Al. Poor Donna. I got more about Donna. Oh, with the Donna. Bits here. Elise is spelled so many different ways. Spelled completely wrong in this book. Yeah, they spell Elise A-L-I-S-I. 
I've I've seen it more often the E L E E S E or some similar variation to that. Yeah. I counted all of these. I have a little <laughs> guide to them, but yeah. It's very entertaining. <laughs> Inconsistent spelling of her name. It's like Verbena. I think Verbena is a couple different spellings as well. Gushy as Gushy well. Gushy too. Yep. Everyone's spelled in some different weird way. Beckett with one T. <laughs> yeah. uh, Donna uses her personal laptop for correspondences because Ziggy is a snoop. Yeah, well, you Ziggy know. Ziggy snoops on the conversations. Ziggy's the only one that takes the security clearance seriously. So, you know, if you're going to write a letter to Katie about everything Sam is doing, you got to do it on the on the DL. Ziggy is like a little gossip. I think Ziggy's just getting all of the news and then talking to Tina about it. There you go. And everyone's like, quit snooping on us. And since when does Al call Ziggy honey? Oh, yeah, yeah. I wrote that down. <laughs> yes. He calls her honey. He calls her honey like I three times. I like that bit, actually, where like, like it's like, oh, Ziggy's all worried. And it's like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't think Ziggy would worry about me. Like, Not about you, about herself. <laughs> 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 it's very good Ziggy characterizations. Um, they have some comparisons to uh, Donna waiting for Sam to Beth waiting for Al. Yeah, that was nice. And that's part of the reason she doesn't want Sam to remember her, because he doesn't want her to, him to think that it'll be like Al and Beth and he's going to come home and then Donna's not there. Mm. Yeah. So some I, nice I thought stuff, that though. was kind of a nice parallel. Yeah. Uh, when Zoe shows up, her suit is described as a, I don't know how to pronounce this, Eve St. Laurent knockoff? Yves Saint Laurent. Yves Saint Laurent knockoff that Al would have scorned for lacking the Maestro's class. Apparently, Al is a huge fashionista. (laughs) (laughs) Just look at his outfits. (laughs) I mean, I know he's into like, he's definitely got well-tailored quirky outfits, but I never really saw him as someone looking in the fashion magazines and like knowing all the designers. Not me neither. That's just Melanie's own catty thing about, ugh. Um, there's quite a few pop culture references in this, I think, just to, to place it in the the time, I guess, but it also kind of dates it as to when this was published. So there is a Kevin Costner Robin Hood reference, <laughs> Interview with a Vampire Tom Cruise reference, Fabio reference, you got Star Trek and Star Wars, uh, America's Most Wanted. There's a ton of stuff in this. Yeah, and they said we didn't expect to see the Earl of Stony Brook. On America's Most Wanted. I remember that specifically because Stony Brook is a town here on the island where I've seen SCA because they used to have the convention at uh, Stony Brook University. So I was wondering if that was yet another like connection. I don't know where Melanie lives, but um, she seems to be a New York person because she's mentioning Stony Brook. She's mentioning by proxy the Renaissance Fair up at Sterling Forest. Her character works in New York City. So it felt like she was keeping it close to home. Yeah, definitely. You could tell the things that are her passions were thrown in this, for sure. The Star Trek and Star Wars references I really took issue with. Like, some of the other (laughs) ones are fine, but the Star Trek and Star Wars references just came across as so forced and nerdy, and the kind of (laughs) stuff that- If you die, you're never gonna see Star Wars! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's, it's a rarity with, like, decent TV episodes. It's- it, yeah, all right, fine, Jimmy. But it, it's it's a rarity. This, it seemed like she just decided that all, all the nerds at the project must be Star Trek and Star Wars fans. Yeah, it definitely is like written by someone who's a, a fan kind of thing. Yeah, and like, I was just thinking this time around when I was reading it, yeah, f- a few years back, if I'd have uh, time-traveled 10 years into the future, would one of my first questions be, hey, did, did they ever reboot Quantum Leap? Because, you know, that's, that's what I want to know about what's going on in the future. <laughs> I might. Yeah. (laughs) 
it, it was that and the BQL thing that both felt very young adult to me. It felt like it was really talking down to the the audience. Like you, you're not going to understand this book unless they like Star Trek and Star Wars, because we all do, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I do think there was like a little too much. I do like that Sam in canon is a big Star Wars nerd. I like to think he eventually made it to 99 and, and saw the prequels, and it was like the most disheartening day of his life. <laughs> <laughs> Finding out Star Wars came back, and this is what went down. <laughs> <laughs> Aaliyah created Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> <laughs> I do think the amount of people uh, referencing like Star Trek and Star Wars and all that, like it's it's a little much. Mm. You can kind of tell this is where where her fandom is, but that's all right because I mean, like we're all fans here, so sometimes it's just like, well, just a reference for us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and again, it points up to some of my final thoughts about the book, but uh, I'll it, it ties in very nicely. Let's just put it that way. Mm. What else you got, AP? All right, uh, Philip asks for an article about Sam. So they wrote an article about him in time travel in 1987? I don't recall. They specifically say it has to do with time travel. I missed that. Okay. Which seems weird that he was talking about it and they were right, especially in 87, they would already had the project going. Right, Project Quantum Leap is the worst kept secret in the scientific community. (laughs) (laughs) How are they keeping anything secret? They're 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 not. They're not. They're not until they are. All right. Uh, I love this detail. Uh, Al loves weddings, but he's not so hot on marriage. Mm. <laughs> weddings are fun. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same. Oh, uh, see, the thing with me, I hate weddings. <laughs> I hate going to <laughs> weddings. I'm like, <laughs> it's nice to be invited, but I hate them. <laughs> Even when I had my own wedding, I'm like, can we have it as short as possible, please? <laughs> can we not? Oh, you would have hated my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I've been to the big fancy weddings at wineries. I've been to camp out weddings. I've been to courthouse weddings. I've been to all sorts of weddings. <laughs> but they're never fun. I love my friends and family, but they're never fun to go to. <laughs> all right. Good thing no one's listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, none of my friends and family are listening to this podcast about a Quantum Leap novel. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I have a, I'm going to try and get through these notes. Elle uses the hand link to scan a diagram. That seems like a new thing. That is a new thing. That's new lore. Hmm. The hand link is also a scanner. I guess if it can project stuff, maybe it can read stuff. Yeah, I guess it makes sense to me that they'd be able to scan things if they can project things like in Ziggy, like Al inputs information into the hand link for Ziggy all the time. So I guess why not scan something? I mean, they can see what's in the imaging chamber. So I guess, why would they even need to scan anything if they could see the imaging chamber? Like maybe Ziggy can see everything already. Could be. Maybe this just focuses Ziggy's uh, neuro chips. Yeah, interesting. Huh. All right, uh, there is a uh, phrasing, temporal tiddlywinks. Temporal tiddlywinks, yes. Yeah, temporal tiddlywinks. Sam figured he ought to be pretty good at playing temporal tiddlywinks by now. (laughs) It just made me laugh. Yeah, she was having fun there. There was a lot of good time travel speculation in this, um, especially Philip speaking to Donna towards the end of the book, saying how subjective time is, and the now that I'm talking about right now is already passed by the time I tell you about it, and is the past back then. It was a very interesting sort of conversation for nerds about the nature of time and time travel. Mm. Mm -hmm. So temporal tiddlywinks is just a way to put it for, uh, you know, (laughs) and giggles. I just enjoy it. Tiddlywinks is a great word. (laughs) I just love tiddlywinks. Easily pleased. Uh, All right. uh, So they talk about Sam trying to go to sleep and how he used to go to sleep 
he would just he would run all these like smarty pants things through his head like all these <laughs> equations and all these other things and like but now he can barely remember them so he can't make himself go to sleep that way he's he's like close to counting sheep at this point <laughs> and he's disgusted at it he hates himself yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's like thank god i can't see myself in the mirror after this low <laughs> Yeah, just more great characterization with Sam. Like, he's just so smart. Like, how does he turn his brain off? He can't really, you know? Mm. He paces. Yeah, he paces. Uh, there was a great bit that was just adorable with a cat trying to get Al's attention. That was yeah. the most useless scene in the whole freaking book. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's trying to rub against him and, like, falls through. <laughs> it's all mad about it. <laughs> that was one of my final notes as well. I love that bit. Thank you for bringing that up, Alison. I love it. I love it. It was so cute. I guess that's for the cat owners out there then. It was adorable. And then I was like, oh, sorry. I think, does he call the cat honey as well? He's yes. a sorry honey or sorry sweet. Sorry sweetheart, honey Oh, honey. <laughs> Classic Al. You know, he sometimes said, said honey, but this felt like one honey too many. Maybe pick <laughs> one honey. I just love that the cat would just get pissed off at Al. That's just yeah. classic cat stuff. It's like, you don't make any sense. I'm annoyed at you. It just wants love and it can't get it. You guys are talking about filler. That was total filler. It was lovely. It was filler, but it was good filler. I'd ra- I'm fine with filler if it's entertaining uh, filler. Let's just say if it was about a, a romping Bijan that wanted to play with Al and couldn't manage to, like, you know, <laughs> jump up on him. And, and you guys might have a different opinion about it than, you know, than I would. <laughs> I, I would think that's adorable. I want to see Al playing with the Bijan. Anything where it's Al and an animal is adorable to me because the animal don't get it. They just want to play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, here's some uh, good characterization. I really liked this. Um... Al is described as Sam's second father and substitute big brother. Yeah, that tracks. Sam's most treasured friend in this life or any other. Ooh, that's great. That's great stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Most treasured friend in this life or any other. Every life, his most treasured (laughs) friend. (laughs) Amazing. What I liked about that is like it wasn't just lip service about what great friends they are like you would get in like in an Ashley novel. It was actually backed up by the way they were acting towards each other in the book, for the most part. I feel like in Prelude, we got a lot of good friend stuff, though. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like the the leaping dynamic was a little bit stronger here, as we saw on the show, as was established in the series. Sam says that when he goes home and he wakes up and the first time that he sees his own face, the first thing that he's going to wonder is what went wrong in his life that he's been set to put right. Hmm. It's not going to be like that he's home. It's like, what what have I been leaped here to do? Like, leaping is always on his mind. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that was the neat bit at the end because that was that when he had that turnaround, that emotional turnaround where he thought that leaping was actually kind of a blessing, that he got to do it instead of he had to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now he's thinking, when I get home, it'll be because I need to put something right in my own life. So it's like I'm, I'm almost accepting everything. They sort of alluded that. Leading into, because this was written after Mirror Image, so there was a lot of direct Mirror Image references in here. And for the first time, the voice in the leap void that he hears is really the voice of Al the Bartender. Yeah. That's the way I read it. You couldn't read it as anything but. Yeah, it it does further cement the the whole Sam chooses to leap himself thing. Right. Um, I I really loved that the voice is like, well, you're going to get to go home one day once you realize your worth as yourself is as great as your worth as other people. Mm. Right. And that you take responsibility because Aaliyah needs to take responsibility too. Um, but you're not any different. And it's just like in him balking at it like he does in Mirror Image. So it was a lot of direct callbacks to Mirror Image that I really enjoyed. 
Okay, I only have three more things. <laughs> I'll be done. All right. Donna sees Sam's aura change at times, like what he's done to himself. Like if he's like shaved or if he's tried to trim his hair, they talk about him attempting to trim his hair. And then she sees the changes in the person in the waiting room mm. in his aura. How does he, how does that work? I don't understand. Again, it seems to me just like a thought experiment that Melanie was going through talking about that he suddenly has shorter hair and he's tried to trim it himself. How how does he do it? He can't see past the aura. Well, apparently badly. It said that was an experiment that went pretty badly, so it seems like he didn't really do it that often. I guess that's just her making fun of the season five haircut. Nobody likes the season five haircut. <laughs> oh, I think it's fine. Uh, like, uh, maybe that's why his hair got so long in season two, because he wasn't cutting it. Mm. And then he's just like, fine, I have to get a haircut. It's just getting unwieldy at this point. I still say that whatever passes for his body is back in the waiting room between leaps and the glam squad comes in and shaves him and washes him. I mean, he could get a haircut uh, very easily as someone, as a guy. She leaps into a guy and gets a haircut. Yeah, but then when he leaps out, I don't know. Well, if it's his body, then it would stay with him. Just depends on which one you go with. Oh, God. I'm not interested in this conversation. Moving on. Ooh, so someone <laughs> tries to cut his aura. If you're saying that it's him at the project, then he wouldn't be trimming his own hair. They would be trimming it at the project. But if we go with this scenario, then obviously he has to do it on a leap. I, quite frankly, I'm finding it exhausting. It's just like, I, I don't know how well, it works. Listen, you were the one who brought up the other thing. We're going <laughs> that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> No, I just, I find it so confusing. I'm just like, how does it work? Like, I, I don't get it. I just, it's still, it's still insanely complicated to me. It doesn't make any sort of sense. It doesn't. Even if he got haircuts as guys, like, how is he shaving? And like, when he's like in people that don't shave, you know? Yeah. Like, that's a more timely issue, I would think. But he's always clean shaven, except when he's having a real bad time. He should have a ZZ Top beard at this point. <laughs> He's he turned into old gushy in, in uh, Mirror's image. It all comes together. There we go. All right. Um, two more things. This one's the least interesting, but uh, Sam leaps outside of the states in the end with the guy who's mm -hmm. missing the finger. Yeah, he goes to uh, what Israel. Mm. That's the speculation. He's in the Six-Day War in Israel. I think it's an interesting detail. Uh, I'm glad it wasn't a novel because I don't think I would be that interested in <laughs> reading about him in a war, but. <laughs> Uh, who knows in the right hands it could have been riveting if it had been roger franklin writing it you would not have been able to put it down they would have needed fire extinguishers for the release party because it was so hot <laughs> <laughs> uh i thought it was it was pretty ridiculous when um Aaliyah leaps out they're like yeah philip and roger attempted to murder each other but the king says it's okay so <laughs> it's fine yeah again the that end. was they were good hand wavy stuff <laughs> like oh you boys boys will be boys what like, this was attempted <laughs> murder <laughs> it was almost homicide at the run fair who cares about medieval chivalry and shit <laughs> tried to kill each other with a morning start at the fucking end. <laughs> and then Cynthia's just like, oh, you two scalawags. Like, what? Like, what? <laughs> and then she's like, yeah, I guess we'll get married. And it's like, why did she agree to get married at this moment? You could just say she agreed to a date and assume it went further later. <laughs> you didn't need to say, oh, yeah, I guess we'll get married. You just tried to murder someone. <laughs> it was very, very Shakespearean. It's like an all's well that ends well kind of deal. She would fit right in with medieval times. Yep. I don't know what they were even talking about saying that she wouldn't fit in the Renaissance. Like, apparently she's like, oh, well. <laughs> La-di-da. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that was all my notes. <laughs> Thanks for letting me hold this up for a while. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's always fun. 
I had three more. Ooh. I had a whole bunch of notes and Alison's taken quite a few of them. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that you were, I, I didn't mean to take your things. I thought that, that everyone else was done. I didn't mean it like that. You you had some really good stuff. And as always, you put it more eloquently than I would have done. But you did leave three points that are still still left hanging. Number one, just and just a very quick observation, the line bouncing around in time's gigantic pinball machine. Wasn't that very season one? I love that line. It does. Yeah, that's very season one. <laughs> it was, I love that. It's just a nice callback. Yes. There was a, a little bit towards the end where... She has Sam launch into a soliloquy that was very season one. Yeah. You can tell she's a fan. She she does sort of pick up on all kinds of elements of it. And that, that bit really made me smile. It just was one line that felt very true to the show. So one thing that tie-in fiction quite often does, and definitely a lot of the Quantum Leap novels do, is try and jump through some hoops to explain weird inconsistencies. And there's a massive bugbear of mine through the series. And actually, this recent run-through of the series that I've done this year has really heightened it for me, which is all the times that Al is clearly just entering the imaging chamber, but using the relocation sound. Even though there's no reason for him to have been elsewhere, he's just arriving using the relocation sound. And Melanie actually explains that, that uh, he's just fucking with Sam. He used the imaging chamber to appear appear somewhere else and then uses the relocation so that he can creep up on Sam. He just just gets bored sometimes. He's just explained away so many goofs where Al's obviously just arrived, but he arrives with the wrong sound effect. There we go. Problem solved. So thank you, Melanie, that uh, I can sleep easier now knowing that was never a mistake. And there was a line in there that got me thinking as well. Uh, To date, nobody had returned to the past with intact memories. Boy, I hope one of the future novels picks up on that kind of thread. That would be something interesting to talk about. Hmm. <laughs> it, would, hmm. it would take a special talent to write something it would, like that. It would. So let, it would. Let's Absolutely. hope we stumble across something like that one day. Yes. In a few years. <laughs> At some point. <laughs> I don't think we really went into detail about uh, the fact that the reason that Sam's so depressed in this one, actually, is because he thinks that he's there for himself, but he's not. Mm. You know, like he thinks that he's there to help uh, to fix this uh, capacitor or to get it built or whatever. And then like when uh, like Al's like, no, this we've gone, gone down this road before. This isn't going to get you <laughs> home any quicker. We're not going to like Sam's like, why not? Why can't I do something for myself for once? That's why he's so depressed about this, because he's like, like, I finally think maybe there's a possibility of me going home and like the rug's getting pulled out from under me. Like, that's the whole reason he's in that mental space. And that's a big part of the book, too, is the. The fact that he thinks that this capacitor is important in some way. And it fits in narratively with the mind games that Aaliyah is playing with him, but also the mutual feelings that they have together as leapers and not being able to live for themselves. Yeah. It's a very natural place for the character to wind up. And if I came down on it, seeming a little bit hard on that as a story beat, it's it's not that I, I didn't like it or don't agree with it. It's just that once again, we're seeing Sam acting quite a bit out of character throughout uh, a bunch of the book, even though it's it's justified. I still want to see Sam as Sam more often than not. That's all. Mm. It would have been nice to see him as sort of like a history nerd, kind of nerding out about this stuff, because you, you, someone who's into time travel that much has to be a history nerd. Has to be like, I mean, he's kind of freaking out at the beginning because he thinks he's he's ended up actually in the Renaissance, and Al kind of makes fun of him for <laughs> that, for thinking he's ended up there. But, I mean, you can't blame him for 
for thinking that. But once you get over that, like, I would think, like, you'd be very interested in, like, people trying to to play out this scenario and, and what it was really like back then. Yeah, and what I was happy about with this, though, because um, I didn't remember the broader strokes of the plot. I just remembered there was evil leapers and I remembered that it was with knights in armor and stuff. And I said, uh, are we going to have another last gunfighter here? Are we going to have another mm-hmm. blood moon here where the author yeah. just wants Sam to be a knight? So they're, yeah, he's really leapt out yeah. of his own lifetime, but he really hasn't <laughs> kind of story. But this wasn't that at all. Yeah. They like played it out, you know, like there's a reason for setting it there other than trying to make it medieval. They tie it into a lot more modern concepts as well. So it's not just like, let's do cowboys, but in the 50s, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Another bullet dodged. We'll put it that way. Especially when you see something that's so anachronistic as Sam in a suit of armor on the cover. I think this, if we can get into final thoughts, I think this delivered on what the cover promised. We got Sam in the armor. We got like the Renaissance type stuff going on. Uh, I feel like this had a lot of uh, good stuff in it. Like you were calling it filler, but I I don't really think like there was that. I I liked the filler that was in it. And I think that the stuff with the evil leapers, it it can only take place within a certain window of time on the show. But I don't think they really detracted from that. And, And if anything, it did help to bolster Aaliyah's character more than she got on the actual show. Uh, We really didn't get a lot of time for her, and especially in uh, her last episode, she's completely written out of it. So I feel like this was kind of nice to to get into that kind of stuff. So yeah, I enjoyed this. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I, I was quite harsh on this at the start. It's fun, and it's definitely got a lot of good things going for it, and we've we've talked about all of that. There's bits that I just, I found a bit creaky, but I'll give a lot of that a pass. You know, the, the young adult stuff that I've referred to, some of the some of the owl lines and the owl characterization. I'll give it a pass though because it is trying something different. Melanie's clearly a really accomplished author in her own right, and and in this kind of space, and it's great just to see where the quantum leap novel range could take us. This is starting to get exciting now. There's other voices, love or hate Ashley. That was a single consistent voice, and now we've got the possibility of a whole range of of different people writing about Quantum Leap and talking about it from different perspectives. So, yeah, I like this one. It's fun. It's an easy read. It was an enjoyable few days revisiting it. I I have mixed feelings. I think it was good and bad. And maybe this gets into some of the, the bigger issues with what direction do you want a book series to take, especially one that's based on a TV show that's now cancelled or has, you know, had its finale anyway, and maybe the audience is shrinking. So do you go more on the fan side or more on the sort of the general storytelling side like you would for a series proper? And I feel like this one, even though it showed us how dynamic the novel series could be, at the end of the day, it was just a fan leap. I think that the story was hampered by the evil leap of premise i think that the leap plot itself was so thin as to be almost non-existent <laughs> and the main problem is with with the evil leaper thing is that melanie's got a thankless task because she can't really do anything with the characters she's limited to just teeing things up for return revenge mm. and since we didn't have a great leap plot to fall back on 
the book just indulges in descriptions of relationships and show dynamics that we already know about and then gives us other things like everybody's full name for no reason <laughs> and a lot of fan service. I mean, there's a cavalcade of fan service right on page four. They're referring to JFK, Sammy Joe, thou shalt not, MIA, freedom. And it's just like, yeah, we get it. You've seen the show. <clears throat> I don't know that. The Evil Leaper was a great choice for this because, as I said before, either Melanie couldn't or just didn't want to expand on the Evil Leaper and the origins of the Evil Leaper. So we just got a retelling of everything we've already known about the Evil Leaper. Even Lee's point of view chapters are vague. They're just vague when it comes to that. So did I enjoy it? Yes. Could it have been so much more? I think so. I, I just I, – I feel like it was a missed opportunity. I think I heard – at one point, that that was a, a thought going deeper into the Evil Leaper origins in the books. Maybe that's just a, a rumor that I heard. I know that at one point, someone had pitched, and I read about this in your book, Matt, someone had pitched a story about Edward Sinjin, uh, which I don't know if that would have tied into the uh, the Evil Leapers. That was just a rumor that I'd heard before, but... Uh, maybe they thought that they were going to do something and then they didn't when the uh, novels were cancelled. Yeah, I know John Peel was going to do a um, Sinjin backstory one, or he wanted to. Yeah, I guess that pro it probably wouldn't have tied into the Evil Leapers. That was just something I'd heard that at one point it might have, but... Well, he's British. British people are evil. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I don't know if I would have wanted to read that story, to be honest, about um, Edward Sinjin's backstory, because we had like so little about who he was and then doing like another book just about him not with sam and al or anything like i don't know that's just roddy mcdowell fan fiction at that point <laughs> <laughs> pretty much i think that the tide has turned on that kind of story too i feel like at the time that john might have proposed that story origin stories weren't as rampant as they are now in, in our post-solo society where I, I don't need an origin for every single detail that comes up on a show I happen to like. I don't know. Prelude and all that was doing so like, wh how, what's the origin of Sam's hair? <laughs> what's the origin of Al's outfits? Like, at that point, Prelude was an outlier. Now it seems like everything yeah. is about giving us a, a concrete origin for everything. So that's why I say I think it, it'd be better for the novel series as it goes on to stray away from stories like this, even though you can tell Melanie's love for the show, her her just genuine bona fide fandom of Quantum Leap and the fact that she is reveling in this universe. Ultimately, it speaks to a very small audience mm. because it, it's just all about the history of the project and and aspects of the show specific aspects in the weeds geeky stuff and mm -hmm. there's not a real strong leap going on so i want the books to expand out on the leap part of stuff going forward which they do thankfully and maybe not so thankfully but at least we'll have more interesting and varied stories going forward you know talking about like random origins and wh where does everything come from and all this like focusing on on random characters like every other little star wars guy or whatever there's this this meme 
It came from a Tumblr post where someone was like, yeah, Star Wars fans be seeing like, be watching something and then some random guy shows up and they'd be like, oh my God, it's Glup Shitto. (laughs) 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 Like Glup Shitto just became the shorthand for any random ass ice cream maker or whatever the hell guy that shows up that suddenly has these EU origins. And so like, God, that's so true. And then like someone like expanded on that. They were talking about the show Lightyear coming out and they're like, oh, or that movie Lightyear. And they're like, man, visual effects people are just going to be trapped making glup shit origins forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm glad that we got past our two glup shit origins in the Quantum Leap novel range now. We can move on and expand no, the but universe. The thing is, like, no, but gl- Prelude is not a glup shit Okay. I'm sorry. You're going to be it's censoring not. a lot of things. Prelude is not a glup shit because that's about our main characters. We want to know what's going on with them. Glup shit would be if we did a Sinjin yes, origin yeah, story yeah, or sure. if it was like, you know, yeah. what happened to that one guy on that one random leap? Who cares? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. What what is Kitar Man's story? Kitar Man is a glup shitto for sure. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Hey guys, is it safe to say that we can close the book on Knights of the Morning Star? Please, let's. Yeah, let's yeah. <laughs> Two hours of this. <laughs> My God. Uh, Jesus Sorry. Christ. Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, we might be done talking about Knights of the Morning Star, but we are not done with the show quite yet because we have some new patrons to announce and we have some feedback. So, Whoa. all right. First things first, we want to welcome into our Patreon fold two new supporters. <gasps> they are Terry, joining us at the $5 Leaper level, and Lisa Katrian, also joining us at the $5 Leaper level. Thank you, Terry. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. At that $5 Leaper level, not only do they get uh, membership into the QLP a Book Club and their very own QLP bookmarks, they also unlock about 22 and counting hours of bonus material available exclusively for Patreon supporters at $5 or above. So thanks, Terry. Thanks, Lisa. We hope that you enjoy everything that's coming your way, and we thank you for your support. Uh, speaking of patrons, we got a nice letter, a lengthy letter, but a really nice letter from a new patron. His name is Seamus Kelly. He sent this to me on the actual Patreon site. So let me begin it and uh, we'll do our round robin. You guys ready? Yeah. Yeah. Seamus writes, Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for welcoming me to the QLP as a patron. I got my bookmark the other day and I'm already using it with a Star Trek book I'm reading. Not Enterprise, (laughs) which would be really fitting. It's such a wonderful and inspired gift. I thought everyone at QLP would love to hear how I discovered the podcast. Around New Year's, I was thinking about purchasing the Quantum Leap Blu-ray box set. Wanting to make sure it had all the original music and whatnot, I looked around for a review of it on YouTube. I found one video, and lo and behold, who is in the comments but Allison, <laughs> who helpfully commented that she checked the Blu-rays against the music list in Beyond the Mirror Image? <laughs> I had no idea what that was, so I googled it, and I discovered Matt's book. I dove in headfirst with a PDF copy even before I got the Blu-ray box set. However, while reading, I kept noticing in the annotations, yeah, I do read them, something about a quantum. Quantum Leap Podcast? What? Oh, I'm so glad someone reads the annotations. I was so proud of that. Uh, 
I checked out a few of your episodes that covered the lore-heavy entries in the series. The first one I listened to was the first Evil Leaper episode, and I've been listening ever mm. since. You bring a fun love to revisiting the series, critical where needed, but mostly just enjoying everything about the franchise. I really appreciate that in a world where a small amount of negative voices can seem to dominate the conversation. Keep up the great work. Also, you all have mentioned Sliders on the show, and look, that show is whack. But if in 10 years, <laughs> when the new Quantum Leap series has run a glorious seven seasons, when you've dissected all of the comics and VR stories tied to it, the Broadway musical, the really weird Star Trek Lower Decks crossover episode where Archer finally gets leaped into by Sam, Chris rolling around on tops of sacks full of money after foreknowledge is adapted <laughs> in, into a direct Blu-ray QL movie... <laughs> Yes. An episode where Matt yes. desperately tries for an hour to fit the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode into QL continuity. <laughs> After all of that, <laughs> I'd listen to a Sliders podcast by all of you. Stay groovy, stay awesome, stay leaping, Seamus. Thanks, man. What a great bit <laughs> Thank of feedback. <laughs> I love the way that uh, Alison and I seem to have been nudging this guy closer and closer towards the podcast. All paths lead here. <laughs> the only thing that makes me sad is is that Chris wasn't a part of this. I, I would have been much happier if it had started with, around New Year's I was reading my favourite novel, For Knowledge, <laughs> and thinking about purchasing the Blu-ray box set. And then the story continues. Oh, it's okay. We all know who the stars of this show are. I was looking up stuff about radios. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, Chris Ricky Phillip, is talking about some in Quantum Leap, and I was like, hmm. Well, I'm going to buy the box set of that. You guys are far more relevant to fandom these days than I am. And uh, I'm sorry about this, Shavis, even if they do adapt foreknowledge into a direct Blu-ray QL movie. I ain't gonna see any sacks of money on that, brother. <laughs> I don't own the rights, so <laughs> my story, but not my story. But I'd love to see it anyway. Yeah, it's been a thought in my mind. This is something that never should come to be, but what if, like, if deep fakes got so good that you could make fan movies or fan whatevers that just look like Oh, it's common. Whatever, like fanfic or novel or whatever yeah. you want it to look like, and you can just make whatever you want. It, technology should never be this good because it will be abused. But what if <laughs> that all all the fanfics come to life? Clearly, that's what you want to use this technology for. Thank you, Seamus, for this wonderful bit of feedback. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I look yeah, forward to seeing that episode of Lower Decks as well, and the Broadway musical. Did they do that? <laughs> no. Oh, you're just joking around. I see. Joking. I'm dumb. I get it. This is going to go off on a tangent, so we'll, we should probably cut this. But um, just going back to something Alison said, there's uh, for the missing episodes of Doctor Who, there have been fans experimenting with using deep fakes to recreate. Really? Just like 10 seconds here or there. I mean, it's nothing. Oh. And, and like very specifically bits where it would be a close-up of someone's face doing a bit of talking. So very easy stuff. But where, yeah, you've had actors lip-syncing to the audio recordings and then deep-faking the, the faces over just to recreate a few seconds here or there. So it's coming. I think a few years from now we'll have Doctor Who episodes that are being remade by fans based on the original audios and deep-faked actors. That's crazy. Yeah, that's cool. Well, hey, if we live to see that day, we'll have all of the Quantum Leap that we're ever going to want because I don't think people are going to stop writing, especially if they can just create something with impunity. By the time the deep fakes come, uh, the Quantum Leap IP will have lapsed into public domain anyway. So we'll all be golden. <laughs> we're going to review Quantum Leap deep fakes. Stay tuned for that, folks. <laughs> By that time, we'll all be living on the net anyway as virtual presences, so. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, thank you, Seamus, for uh, your wonderful comments. We really enjoyed reading them. And uh, thank you to our new supporters, Terry and Lisa. If you out there would like to be like Seamus, there are many ways that you can contact us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can actually drop us a letter at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us on the phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, don't we have some evil Italians in our future? I'm so glad you mentioned that because, oh, I'm so excited that the next episode we're going to be talking about some evil New York Italians as well. So, I mean, if only there was someone on this show that loved discussing that very topic. Oh, double identities coming. Thanks, Frankie. He was terrific. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm lying, I'm dying. (laughs) 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 Polare, Chris is annoyed. (laughs) I believe Double Identity was the episode that made you like... You had a whole big thing about that, didn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, I did a whole whole Chris diatribe about... That was your like, these evil Italians... Really grinds my gears. <laughs> I've been one of the first things ever contributed to the podcast, me complaining about, you know, so, wow, I finally get to do a whole show on the thing that started it all, Double Identity. So I honestly have not seen Double Identity in gotta be 10 years. So I'm looking forward to rewatching it. You did a thing about it, you didn't watch it again? No, I, no, well, okay, what was that, eight years ago? It was one of the first things I ever contributed to the podcast. Oh, man. Sometimes I forget how long ago this podcast Exactly. <laughs> Maybe five years. Give it that. But it was a long time ago. Oh, man. Is this going to be like when we got to Blood Moon and and remembered that that episode was set in Britain? Is this going to be your Blood Moon? It might be. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, I look forward to seeing it again. Maybe I won't be such a stick in the mud, or maybe I'll be more of a stick in the mud. Who knows? You're just going to have to tune in and see. But until that time, I have been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And oh, hey, we'll see you next time. Forget about it. Ah, Moses on a pony. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher Filippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Joshua Burwald, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. 
The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baron Space production. You guys rolling or what's up? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm rolling now. What, what, rolling, what? rolling, rolling, rolling. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Now I want to watch the Blues Brothers. Rain, wind, I'm and wind. Very wind. interested by the fact that you put mind body debate put to bed in this. <laughs> This, this, this is this is interesting, Chris. I don't know why the NBC execs thought that this was hard to understand. I just I was trying to point out all the pieces of lore. I thought we'd have some fun with that. So, and we already are. So, my instincts were right. <laughs> um, guys, ready to go? Yep. Yep. Let's do it. All right. You got yeah. your book. You got your book to hand. I hope the book. No. What do we need? <laughs> we have our notes. Well, you know, I guess I'll read the blurb then. Oh, you're the one that usually has the like little post-it notes and stuff for the pages, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was way back in eleven twenty two sixty three when I actually, you know, had to read a lot of books for a podcast, and I would make tons of notes with little notations, but. Oh. Uh, yeah. You usually have the page number at the ready, though, when you're like talking about stuff. I guess you just write it in your notes. Yeah, I write it in my notes, just in case I need to quote something. I don't have a lot of that this time, though. Anyway, all right. I have the blurb, so it's fine. All right. Let's get going. So, yeah. Guys. It's been a good time. I, I, I did it again. I forgot to read the, the, the blurb. Oh. <laughs> this is read the second. Read the blurb and insert it. <laughs> this is the second time. Another Leaper, Quantum Leap, Knights of the Morning Star, an original novel by Melanie Ron, best-selling author of the Dragon Prince series. So, yep, like I said, bestseller. Uh, why don't we do some initial impressions? Allison, and cut. <laughs> <laughs> and that is my initial impression. <laughs> wow. What a good initial impression. I enjoyed your initial impression, Allison. <laughs> Holy shit! Look out! That's a morning star! 